I feel absolutely horrible for the fall sports athletes in the Big Ten, Pac-12, MAC, and the Mountain West, specifically the football players in those conferences. And my sympathy extends to the countless FCS, D2, D3, NAIA, and probably junior college schools who will not be playing football this fall. You only get so many years to play competitive sports in your life, especially a game like football. So to get one of those years taken away from you, for many seniors, probably the last time they'd ever get a chance to play football, that's devastating. I'm going to plead ignorance when it comes to non-FBS institutions. How many of these programs could play football and all other fall sports in 2020 if money wasn't a deterrent? No crowds, of course, means no income from fans at games, which is a major hit to schools all across the country. However, for the FBS conferences who've chosen to sit out fall 2020, shame on you. You made the wrong decision, and all of you adults who are in charge of these conferences and institutions, I hope you are fully aware that your decisions have screwed over a lot of college kids. College kids who just wanted to play sports this fall, and they've been training for this season for months, only to get zero payoff from all their hard work. One of my biggest pet peeves in life is when adults who are more experienced and wise and should know better make decisions that are not in the best interest of kids and effectively screw college kids out of an experience that none of them will ever get a chance to make up. I don't buy that money is an issue with FBS schools, not when I've already seen that it's possible for schools like South Alabama and Marshall and Middle Tennessee to play football games in 2020. And this weekend, the Big 12 and the ACC will join in. And a couple weeks after that, the SEC will join. Good! I'm glad some adults out there didn't choose to stand in the way of a bunch of college kids and coaches who just wanted to play their sport this fall. There hasn't been any pushback by Pac-12 players, fans, parents, coaches that I've seen, but there has been a lot of pushback in the Big Ten, including eight Nebraska players suing the conference saying its decision to cancel or postpone the football season to the spring was arbitrary and capricious, citing the ACC, Big 12, and SEC's decisions to move forward. At the very least, that lawsuit got the Big Ten to reveal the vote totals for postponing the fall season. The result was 11-3 in favor of postponing. Iowa, Nebraska, and Ohio State were reportedly the three schools who voted against postponing. Safety concerns are the main reason why the fall season has been postponed, yet it's clear that different conferences have different interpretations of what is safe and what isn't. My surface-level thoughts are that the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, and all the other conferences that are playing, oh, and by the way, the NFL is full steam ahead, I believe everybody involved with those organizations are doing the right thing by not shutting it all down. You may disagree, although if you're listening to this podcast, I doubt you do, but if you do disagree, that's perfectly fine. Perhaps we'll get a chance at some point to discuss the entire issue, because as all of you know, there's quite a bit of nuance involved. I'll say this right now. Football is inherently dangerous. You know that, the coaches know that, and the players know that. Football is also inherently good. It's good for the players. It's good for the coaches. And it's good for all of us who consume the sport because we love it just as much as everybody who's involved with the games on the field. I asked Larry and Turner Yell, Deshaun White, and Charleston Rambo a few weeks ago what the game of football means to them. The context being, it was just days after the Big Ten and Pac-12 shut it down, while the Big 12 announced that football would continue. DTY said, quote, 
football means the world to me. If it didn't, I wouldn't be in this position today, end quote. Deshaun White said football is, quote, fun. It's freedom. It's an opportunity to chase being the best at something, which is rare, end quote. White continued, quote, football is so fun. When you're playing with your friends, I know I'll be happy. I have the most joy in my heart playing football. White ended by saying, quote, simple for me. I just want to play football. And Charleston Rambo, he said that for a lot of guys, football is their way out. Football is their way to stay away from making bad decisions. Rambo said football players make a lot of sacrifices, but he told me that he loves the game. Rambo ended by saying, it's always been there, so why not keep it going? Why not keep it going? Football is the greatest sport in the world. It teaches you discipline, teamwork, humility. It teaches you to be tough. You learn how to push yourself to your limits. With football comes opportunity, friendship, and camaraderie. Football builds leaders, and football can shape lives for the better. In the year 2020, why not keep football going? Well, it's here. I'm Lee Benson. Welcome back to West of Everest. Mayfield steps up in the pocket, looks oh. down the middle, has a oh. man! Touchdown, Oklahoma, D.D. Westbrook! What a catch by Westbrook! Look at Mayfield celebrate. That's what I'm talking about. In unbridled passion and joy about playing football, and his teammates appreciate that. Baker Mayfield's first ever touchdown pass in an OU uniform welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Mayfield found D.D. Westbrook down the seam late in the second quarter to make it 17-0 Sooners. Baker had a monster debut, 23 of 33, 388, three touchdowns through the air, one on the ground. OU beat the Zips 41-3 back on September the 5th, 2015. A little more than five years later, Spencer Rattler is set to make his first career start this Saturday when the Sooners begin the 2020 season at home against Missouri State. So it's been about five months since our last episode. No need for us to explain all the things that have happened in the world since early to mid-April. It's crazy that multiple conferences, including the Big Ten and Pac-12, are not playing football this fall. Talked all about in the opening take. I'm sure there's going to be a time and a place for us to get into that down the line. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But what Grant and I want to do today is talk about the 2020 Oklahoma football team in grave detail. We think that we think that's what you guys want to hear about. Position group by position group, injuries, suspensions, opt-outs and all. Where do the Sooners stand now that we're days away from kicking off the 2020 season? With that, time to bring in Grant and Grant, I got a question for you which could lead to a brief discussion here at the start of the show. On a scale of 1 to 10, rate your excitement level for the start of the college football season. I feel like I, if, I feel like if, if I gave my answer without like a robust explanation, it would cause lots of controversy. But then again, maybe not, because I feel like maybe everyone is in sort of the same boat. But typically, I'm, I'm a 10, 100% of the time, always a 10, maybe sometimes even up to an 11. Uh, this year, it's probably hovering around a 4 or a 5, probably. Um, and I've thought about it a lot, and I think a lot of it has to do with just the uncertainty and also the will-they-or-won't-they nature of the entire summer. Um, everyone knows about it. Everyone went through it in, the, in their own sort of way, uh, not knowing whether or not the season was going to start, and that sucked a lot. And I, I think everybody sort of probably went through 
through like the stages of grief in their own way, preparing themselves for the end of the season. I know I did. Um, and that whole thing just sucked. And I think everyone is probably just going to be stepping on eggshells the entire time, uh, hoping that it just doesn't stop randomly. But I think enough has kind of happened in the last month or the last few weeks that have that has made me a little more confident that it, it's pretty likely that we're going to go through and, and finish this season probably and have a full year. Yeah, I feel very similar to the way you do. Usually, you know, easily 10 out of 10. Uh, it gets up to 10 as early as you know, when fall camp gets going in early August, that's whenever it's full speed ahead. And I'm sure you're the same way. You're probably even earlier than that. Uh, but this year, yeah, it just feels different. Definitely not a 10 for me, it, which is which is weird because, as you guys all heard in the opening take, football is my favorite sport. It's all of your favorite sports, I would imagine, to listen to this podcast. I'd say right now I'm about seven and a half, eight or so. I'd say maybe in the – I was in about the five to six range last week. So it's it's definitely jumped up as we get closer to the game. Uh, you know, and, and you had a lot of the same feelings that I have. I'd be curious to hear – or know if a lot of our listeners have similar feelings. If you're listening to this and you want to give us your take on your excitement level for the 2020 season, go ahead and let us know on the West of Evers Facebook page, or you can find Grant on Twitter at GrantBenson25. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. And, and you know, it just to kind of piggyback a little bit off of what you were talking about, it just seems like there's a dark and annoying cloud over my head everywhere I go. And, you know, every turn, and when we're talking about sports, there's just this cloud over our head. And the only reason that I can come up with as to why is that it's no sports out there that we're watching, they all do not feel the same. They all feel different in their own little ways. And I do think that matters. Like, I think cardboard cutouts at baseball games is stupid. Uh, I think people should be going to Major League Baseball games by now. Uh, the majority of NFL teams aren't allowing fans at first. I think that's dumb. Uh, the NBA bubble has has good basketball, a good basketball product, but... On television, I think it looks weird, and I guess a lot of people probably don't think these playoffs matter a whole lot because there's no fans. Uh, they're playing games in August and September after shutting down for many months. feels like a different season in a way, and I know at least one person who is a huge NBA fan that hasn't been watching the playoffs at all just because it, it doesn't seem like it's it's real. It doesn't feel like it's it's a real playoff. And it has nothing to do with all the – there's other issues going on with with – you know, you hear about the social justice stuff, and it's not even that with him. It's just the the product, and everything just feels weird to him. Yeah, you, you also you see masks everywhere at sporting events, which to me it's just it's a constant reminder that COVID is still a thing that we all have to deal with on a daily basis, whether it directly affects us or not. So I guess that's kind of my rambling explanation as to why I don't think that I'm as excited about college football as I normally am. You know, perhaps. We've talked about this off the air a little bit, but perhaps some psychologist could analyze my thoughts and, and let me know what that all means. So I, I don't know. So that's where well, I'm I th- at. I think what has happened, Lee, is that uh, college football, which is its own institution and is something that a lot of us have counted on at the exact same time every single year uh, in our adult lives or maybe in our sentient lives ever since we've been you know, the kids old enough to remember everything. Um, and when that's threatened to be taken away, I think it's just it. it doesn't feel right, even no matter how you kind of come down on the issue, whether or not whether or not it's safe or not. Uh, the whole thing is just it sucks, and I think it's a constant reminder that college football, this thing that we love, this thing that maybe we use to escape from normal life, or something that is just a really large part of who who we are as people, just got pulled down into the mud of all the other crap going on into the world, and a lot of us resent that, um, hmm. and. 
I, I really hope as we play, uh, as, as we go along and we play uh, this season, I, I hope that kind of goes further into the background. But man, there, there's just something right now about sports where no matter you turn it on, you're right. It is just a reminder of everything that we're dealing with. And maybe uh, this is just a moment to, to push on and, and push forward and suck it up. But uh, while, we're gonna, while we're going through it, and I got a mic in front of me, I'm going to complain about it. So uh, it's, it, it's been a tough time, and I think everybody feels that as well. And we, we desperately just want some normality and to play some football. So hopefully on Saturday that'll start. Agree. Agree. All right. I know we posted on the West of Evers Facebook page that this show is going to be different moving forward. I think the main reason behind that is, you know, Grant and I, we're not 100% able to commit to a set show schedule this fall. You know, usually we've released two episodes a week, one before the game, one after the game. We're going to try to keep that up as best as possible. But sometimes, as you all know, life gets in the way for us. Uh, you know, we're not getting paid to do this, just in case anyone was wondering. There's no advertisements here on this show, although you know, we're not against advertising, just something that we haven't actively pursued at all. In the, I guess this would be the fourth year we've been going into this show. We started this back in 2017 before the 2017 season. Uh, but I think that's the main difference is we can't fully commit to a set schedule. I suppose... Uh, you know, if, if it seems like an episode is missing to you, well, it's probably because the episode is missing. Uh, we'll do our best to keep you all updated on the Facebook page and on Twitter. So that's kind of my, my brief explanation about the differences, I suppose, going into 2020. Does that all sound about right for you, Grant? Anything that you want to add to the show being different in any, any kind of way? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's about it. We're, we're, we're going to try uh, to stay committed to, that, to the once a week so we can at least on a weekly basis say everything. And honestly, if something big time happens and we desperately want to talk, we're going to do it. We're, we're going to release some episodes. So, uh, but, but yeah, like kind of how everyone is living right now, life is just in flux. It really is. And, and some things are harder than others. And it largely depends on the week, what day of the week. And... Uh, we're just going to try to get through this like everyone else. And gosh, man, I hope I, I hope football just continues like normal and there's not too many postponements and stuff like that. That would just, it'd really suck, but that might just be the reality we're living in. Although it might not seem like I am uh, in a positive mood, I actually am pretty positive about college football being just fine and getting through the entire year. I am too. Uh, just got to get, get, gotta get all the negativity out first. I, I do yeah. believe... I do believe the conferences that push forward made the correct decision with the information that was available to them at the time, and I believe it is currently still the correct decision, and I think enough advancements have happened and enough minds have been changed that this thing they're going to give this thing a really good try, and I do think they are going to succeed. All right, we are recording the show late Wednesday night. Oklahoma plays Missouri State in just three days. And this afternoon, the Sooners released their first depth chart, which is perfect timing for this podcast because our main focus today was going to be catching you all up on what this 2020 OU team looks like, position by position. You know, I was thinking, okay, so if I love OU football, but, you know, maybe I've been distracted for most of the offseason, I've had a difficult time getting into football season for, you know, whatever reason it may be. But now here, you know, it's game week. I'm curious as to what to expect from Oklahoma football in 2020. Well, for those people, our goal is to prepare you know, that person for game one and as far as what to expect on the field from the Sooners this fall. And you know, for all of you out there who are diehard OU fans who've been 
super pumped for college football ever since that horrible, terrible Peach Bowl. We think that you're still going to get a lot out of this episode because Grant and I, we haven't had a chance. We have not had a chance to give our takes on a lot of these different players on the team and things that have happened and what we think is going to happen this season. So uh, we think this team is going to be pretty interesting. And we're hoping that this is a, a real meat and potatoes Oklahoma football podcast. So, again, just kind of like I asked you before, Grant, anything that you want to add uh, to what I just said there, Grant, before we start at the very top of the depth chart, which is going to be the quarterback, of course. No, so that's actually one of the sort of the interesting things about us not having a show for five months is that there's plenty of takes that haven't been said yet. Um, <laughs> a lot of a lot of development. A lot of stuff has happened since then. And basically, I've been I, I mean, I've been sitting in my house quarantined like everyone else just thinking about things. So I don't know. Some of it might all just kind of spill out in weird sort of ways. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I this team is if if nothing else, this team is extremely interesting. I don't, I, I don't know how, how good they're going to be because of uncertainty and COVID and any of that stuff. But, I mean, in terms of, in terms of like kind of being excited for the unknown going into this year, this is about as excited I, as I've been for a year in that regard since, since Lincoln Riley first took over as offensive coordinator and Baker Mayfield was, was going to start for the first time. Uh, that's really the first time we've seen, I don't know, a lot of new faces, it feels like, even though there are a lot of, <laughs> a lot of returning starters on this team, I guess. All right, well, let's begin with quarterback. Spencer Rattler was finally named the starter last week. We all knew this was going to happen. Uh, but, of course, Lincoln Riley, he sticks to his guns. He always lets the competition play out. And you know, I know we think it's a charade. All of you think it's a charade as well. But, I mean, I get why he does it. You know, if I'm Tanner Mordecai, I'd be pretty mad if I didn't get a true shot to win the job, even if I knew that I'm a massive underdog to actually win the job. You know, we don't get to watch practice. You know, what if you're Mordecai and you just start lighting things up in training camp? You know, no spring ball at all. And Spencer Rattler comes out there and he stinks. I mean, I mean, at least you would kind of feel if you're Mordecai like you're getting a fair shot as long as the starter has not been named. But, you know, with that being said, Mordecai, he was injured for part of camp. He missed out on some reps. And the reality is he just never had a shot to beat out Spencer Rattler, who he's incredibly talented. I'm not sure how much time you want to spend on Rattler Grant. I've actually got a lot of thoughts. I'm sure you probably do too. I don't. Know. I mean, I don't know. We've it's been five months. So, uh, you know, what do you think? Where do you want to go with to begin with Spencer, uh, Spencer Rattler? I mean, I think just like everybody, I'm excited to see him play. Uh, but most, I mean, just to touch on what you said, yeah, I'm I'm glad we got kind of spared from that dog and pony show. Uh, that we've had from Lincoln Riley the last couple of years. Of course, the most obnoxious of them being in 2018 when, like, I don't know, geez, the most talented player in school history was neck and neck with Austin Kendall. Okay, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, there, but, was a, a, there was a time when I, I almost fell for that one, and that's pretty embarrassing for me. But, yeah, the, the number one NFL draft picked, maybe the best football player on the planet. Yeah, he was Austin Kendall. Guy who couldn't even keep the job at West Virginia, neck and neck with him, for sure. I think he got hurt at West Virginia. I think that's why, but yeah, point for sure. Uh, but no, I, I, I'm excited to see Rattler. I, I think um, even in just the brief time that we saw him last year, he just looked different out there than, than, a, than a Tanner Mordecai did. He looked a lot more comfortable. He just looked like the guy. And of course, uh, I don't know. Everybody is, has probably blocked that peach bowl out of their memory. I know I have. I, I've tried as much as humanly possible, uh, but it really was significant that Spencer Rattler came in 
you know, in relief of Jalen Hurts in that game and not Tanner Mordecai. That was a very, very clear signal, I, I believe, that mm-hmm. that this was Spencer Rattler's team. And, uh, you know, we actually we saw him uh, talk to the media for the first time this week, Lee. And I, I'm the kind of guy, I, I cringe at, uh, at, at media interviews like this, especially with young kids. I just... I. I don't do well. I'm an anxious guy, and it all, I always just get secondhand embarrassment if guys don't handle the media very well or if they are kind of awkward conversationalists. Having that mm-hmm. been said, Spencer Rattler was insanely good with the media uh, earlier this week to the point where I noticed it and I feel like I have to comment on it. That's not normal, how, how, how comfortable and how good he looked with the media. Um there's certainly some leadership qualities that 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 are on display there that not everybody has, and I think that definitely is part of it. Um, and I don't know, you you watched a little bit of that the that Netflix series he was in, right? Uh, a very small portion. I'll be honest with you, I didn't even get through the first episode. Yeah, I thought I, I would I'd be into it, but I I just couldn't I couldn't get into it. I saw I saw bits and pieces. I saw like some YouTube clips and stuff like that, and most of them were kind of cut up and. You see that in in, in high school, Spencer Rattler kind of had had some prima donna to him, and uh, maybe if you saw that or you got the the impression from watching that that maybe he wasn't necessarily ready to lead. He he looks like a mature guy, knowing exactly what's expected of him, and he he's ready to lead a college football team based off what I saw earlier this week. And maybe that's me just looking far way too into it, and being starved for football and just kind of drooling over a guy talking to the media for the first time, but. I thought he was really impressive, Lee. What do you think? Yeah, he was. He was really good. And I do have a clip from Rattler's uh, first official media availability. I believe he was technically available before the Peach Bowl because I know that all the players have to be made available before those playoff games. Unfortunately, I was not on the trip to uh, to the Peach Bowl, so I didn't get a chance to, to be there for it. But officially, as especially as a starting quarterback, obviously, this was the first time. And here's just a snippet of Spencer Rattler earlier this week. I had a lot of hype, you could say, in in high school and and attention. So, I mean, that definitely prepared me for this. But um, like I said, you know, to me, pressure is a privilege. Um, I don't look at it. I look at it to embrace it. Um, You know, I'm not going to run away from from any expectations or this and that. I just focus on what I have to do with my team. i got a great group of guys around me. And... uh, you know, great supporting cast of coaches. So, uh, you know, what we what we're focusing on right now is that that game one, and we'll go on from there. So the the part that stands out the most is is the line pressure is a privilege, and that's a good line. And it's a guy who's second year in college, first year as a starter. And I texted you after he he talked on uh, Tuesday, I believe it was, and I said Spencer Rattler is really impressive. He doesn't seem like he's just a second year in college kid. So I guess that would make him, what, 19 or 20 years old, probably 19. And I always like to kind of think back whenever I was 19 or 20 years old, I'd like to think that I, if I was asked questions and had to do media, I'd like to think that I'd be pretty good at it. But maybe, I, maybe I'd maybe i be bad at it. I, I think back to when I started my job in journalism and I look back at old tapes of myself, it's cringeworthy. It's terrible. So as a 19 20 year old kid I'd probably would have said a lot of dumb things to the media as much as I would like to think in my head now that I would have said a lot of cogent pithy things that being said I bring that up because Spencer Rattler doesn't come off as a 19 year old second year college kid and he made the point to say in the media 
availability that last year was a big year for him learning underneath Jalen Hurts and just viewing the way that he approached game week. And he even made the point to say he watched the way Jalen handled the media. And we all remember how that was. Jalen was the most boring guy ever, and he would make a couple quips here and there to show that he had a little bit of a dry sense of humor here and there. But you could always say that he handled the media like an adult and probably like a guy sometimes who was in his 50s. Uh, with the way that he Belichickian sometimes, talk sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah. So Rattler made a point that hey, yeah. I mean, I learned from Jalen in a lot of different ways, and handling the media and, and knowing what to say is one of them. So it's it's not. I shouldn't say it's not surprising, but it's nice to see that he's he's clearly learned, and he knows exactly what to say. And I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit easier going over Zoom. Uh, it's I don't know if that has anything to do with it at all. Probably not. But uh, you're not crazy to to read into his handling and the way he answered questions. He was prepared. He was prepared. It was good. And that's, I mean, that's good. And so, yes. I mean, even even if he was coached, great. I, I mean, he, he he said what he needed to say, and he sounded like a leader. And that's, he accomplished what he needed to accomplish. And this obviously means that he's going to throw for 500 yards and five touchdowns on Saturday. <laughs> Ipso facto, clearly that's what's going to happen. Ipso facto, Heisman trophies coming back to God. I can't. This year. I, I cannot wait until um, we just till, till we just lift this clip in December, and just run it into the ground because we got it right. <laughs> so let's. All right. So let's talk about Spencer. What he does on the field, because I have a lot of notes on that. And if you don't, well, too bad. You're going to listen to me talk about it. Let's let's go over what I've seen from Spencer Rattler. Just to go from the very end. I've watched, you know, his huddle slash rivals, whatever whatever organization put his high school tape on YouTube, uh, which I liked. I've seen the All-American Bowl, which he was in, which he looked really good in that game against a bunch of other elite prospects. And, of course, watched his limited action in 2019. Uh, he didn't show us a whole lot, but at least against South Dakota, he did show off his arm talent a bit. Uh, you know, we saw a bit of his smooth mechanics, his nice technique, his good motion. Why does Rattler have all of this hype? His arm. It's strong. Not a cannon. He's not Josh Allen out there, but definitely above average. Has some zip. Also, by all accounts, so far in his career, he's been an accurate passer. Granted, that's, for the most part, all throughout high school and just a very small bit of garbage time in college. His mechanics. He's smooth. Natural motion. Natural throw over the football. He seems to throw a catchable ball. Footwork looks good from what I've seen. He has a nice, strong base to throw from. He's mobile when needed. He's not a statue. You know, we saw him with some zone reads last year against South Dakota. He's, he's not going to run by you like a Kyler Murray, obviously. Uh, but he can make plays with his legs if needed. Where this is mostly important will be outside the pocket and those off-schedule type plays, making throws on the run in high-leverage spots. That's something that Rattler is supposed to be able to do, and he's supposed to be able to do it pretty darn well. He's got one year under his belt in the system. We know Lincoln Riley likes to get his quarterback some experience in the program before throwing them out there. You know, Jalen Hurts obviously was the exception because Riley had just one season with him in that transitional type of year. But you look at Baker Mayfield. He sat and learned in 2014 before taking the reins in 2015. Kyler got to Norman in 2016, thought he'd be taken over in 2017, but then Baker got that extra year of eligibility. So Kyler sat behind Baker for two seasons before going on to win the Heisman Trophy in 2018 you know I think it's fun to to kind of compare and contrast Mayfield and Rattler 
each guy will have had one year in the system before their first Oklahoma start. Obviously, Mayfield had more college experience playing at Texas Tech. But Rattler, I think it's inarguable. He definitely has more talent coming out of high school than Mayfield had. I remember Mayfield's debut was awesome. Rattler has the correct circumstances, I'd say, to also have a great debut against what will be a uh, pretty bad Missouri you know, Mayfield's, State team. Uh, so I'll stop yeah, talking now, Mayfield's Grant. Mayfield's debut was awesome statistically, but actually turn on the game. It was it was okay. It was it was pretty uneven. They were, uh, yeah. I mean, you if you go back and watch it, you can tell it, it took them about the the first half to get going. They they weren't great at the beginning, but I digress. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, 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 I'm not going to sit here and give you a scouting report on Spencer Rattler. I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know more than other guys who scout him and whatnot. I know I've seen him with my eyes and I know he looks a hell of a lot more comfortable than Tanner Mordecai. I've seen his high school tape and he looks yeah. like a, yeah, I'm glad you brought he looks that like, up. he looks like I, he, he looks like a high level college quarterback in his high school tape. And I, I feel like the, the thing that stands out the most to him when you're watching him from high school is that it, his ball placement. He he places balls like where only his receivers can catch them. <laughs> and yeah, Lee's laughing at that. Way to go. Place, Come on. Plays his football. <laughs> <laughs> he plays his footballs in the correct <laughs> right in the bread basket. <laughs> right in the catch I mean, zone. Can, can, can we record can a podcast, that- please? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, that that got me good. But anyway, Sorry, you're gonna going you're gonna hate me for this uh, for this comparison. You are, <laughs> but I think like I think Spencer Rattler when he's actually on the field, what he's gonna look like, he's gonna look like a more accurate version of Trace McSorley. And I know you hate that, but that's that's what he's gonna look like. Oh exact God. same body type, <laughs> kind of like same like I'm just saying that's what it's gonna look like. Uh. He's got so much better mechanics. That's true. He's way he's way smoother. He McSorley was so he was so frantic. Like McSorley was like always. You could tell he was always going a million miles. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the wheels always spinning. Yeah, McSorley had like a hitch too in his delivery. I guess the gosh that I did not anticipate. I think they're I I think they're similar athletically and in terms of size. Would you agree? I, I I get where you're coming. I get where you're coming from, but uh, boy, that's that just shows you how much you watch college football and no college. Trace football. Trace McSorley was a good one. player for Penn State, and I hate I hate admitting that, but he was. Hmm. He had flashes, but for the most part, he was. He, he is, was mediocre. and Texas fans won't like I, to hear this, but Trace McSorley and Sam Ellinger are pretty much the same college player. <laughs> I mean. Ellinger is a more of like a running back than McSorley ever was. I mean, Ellinger would like run over pe- or will run over people. McSorley's a shifty. Uh, I don't want to have this McSorley Ellinger conversation. This is what this is west of Everest for you. It's always that's kind of always where it goes. Yeah. Okay, so here's my final thoughts on Rattler before we get onto the the rest of the offense. I think Rattler is probably the most interesting thing about this team in 2020, and I'll tell you why. Remember last season. <laughs> We kept complaining about the Jalen Hurts version of Oklahoma's offense, especially at the end of the season. Lincoln Riley completely adjusted his system to better fit Hurts' abilities, and it definitely worked. But it wasn't all that fun to watch. And again, especially in the latter half of the year, and then definitely in that train wreck in the Peach Bowl. And you got Rattler, 
who's an elite prospect with potentially elite quarterback traits, Rattler is much, much closer to the type of quarterback like Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray than Jalen Hurts. I know that's completely obvious, but I just want to be crystal clear about what I'm saying here. I'm extremely excited to once again watch a Lincoln-Riley offense with a quarterback capable of executing Riley's system through the air. Riley's going to make it as easy as possible for Rattler at the beginning, but as time goes on, I expect him to grow and improve his ability to go through his progressions and then eventually unlock the Oklahoma offense. I'm tired of this one-read pass uh, these these one read pass plays, you know, slow decisions, slow delivery of the football. Basically, I'm just ready to watch high level quarterback play at Oklahoma once again, and that's why Spencer Rattler to me is, is the most exciting part of 2020 about how how he progresses. Of course he is. Yeah, I mean he's the quarterback. You know he's 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 the straw that stirs the drink. Of course, yeah, of we're course. excited for Spencer Rattler. Uh, like, what do you think? Do you think the uh, and I know we, we might be getting too into the weeds here, but do you think we're going to see more of like a wide-open offense? Because I, I don't at all. I think we're going to see a lot of what we saw in terms of the Jalen Hurts offense like at the end of the season in terms of personnel groupings. But I think we're going to see a lot more downfield shots out of those groupings. because uh, Well, because my, hmm, my theory is because outside of the offensive line, the best, the best room on the team is the H-back and tight end room with Austin Stogner, Braden Willis, and Jeremiah Hall. That those three guys um, are like the Jermaine Gresham of this offense. They make this offense very, very uh, kind of like a Swiss Army knife. And they like, are really good. Yeah, they are. They're really loaded, loaded at that, at that, that position, position to the point of it being slightly unfair. Um, like, no, I mean, it's actually <laughs> Jeremiah Hall is an excellent player for his role. He fills his role very, very well. He's an excellent blocker. He catches the ball extremely well out of the out of the backfield. Uh, Braden Willis is a guy who I think is still kind of growing into his body. Are we jumping to that position already? We yeah, we might, right well. we might as well. We might as well. We might as well. This is kind of grab bag. This We're is why. Just, just yeah, hop around. Just I'm kinda, telling you, this is why I'm okay. really excited for this team this year. Is these three guys and their and and kind of their progression. We saw it from Braden Willis last year. He caught touchdown passes all year last year. Like even in the last few games, I think he was on a he was on a touchdown streak. Jeremiah Hall has made has made big time Dimitri Flowers like plays um, for the last season and a half now, and we all saw Stogner like we we know Stogner's going to be a big deal with a Spencer Rattler throwing to him, um, and I, I think that's just that's where that's where you really make a lot of your money in in the game these days is finding individual matchups that you can exploit, and man, Braden Willis and Austin Stogner are going to murder the Big Twelve. Especially, especially if the interior of that OU offensive line, which might be the best in the country, the interior of, if they're running the ball well, and you got Spencer Rattler operating the RPOs, Stogner and Willis are going to be a huge problem this year if we if we can keep them healthy. And like I've, my my mind has run wild with the ceiling of this offense. the The ceiling of this offense is crazy. I guess Stogner and Rattler has a little. They have a little bit of rapport going back to. They didn't play for the same high school, but all those camps and elite 
uh, openings or you know I, you can tell how much I pay attention to that high school stuff, which is not much at all. Apparently they played together like a seven on seven camp or something like that. So going back to to high school, they have a little bit of rapport already built up, so they knew each other coming in. So that I mean, how much is that going to help? I mean, it can't hurt. And, and speaking of Stogner, he uh, <laughs> he's kind of that more big tight end type role, whereas you know Jeremiah Hall. It's kind of a mixture, I think, between Willis and Stogner, and, and Willis kind of is is he's an athletic freak. I think he's a little stiff at times, but he's he's definitely an asset. But as as far as Stogner goes, he's bulked up. I found this pretty interesting because Dean asked about this the other day. He bulked up from two thirty five last year. He's two sixty now, so he's put on twenty five pounds. Which you're like, all right, I mean that's pretty good. But what he said is that he feels like he's moving even better now than he did last year at two thirty five. Yeah, and I know it's. That sounds scary it's been, for opposing defenses. It's, it's if, been, I mean, yeah. He was kind of stiff. He looks and, like a freshman. I mean, if he's heavier and stronger, but also moves better now. Ooh. And I'm, I, you know, it, it's been nice. kind of, a, it's been sort of thrown around on Twitter and stuff like that with like, you know, pictures of from practice and other things that the, the OU uh, media account has thrown out. Austin Stogner looks like an NFL player right now. It is, he, he has absolutely taken that step physically. And so I, I just, Ooh. man, the I really, really hope uh, that the COVID stuff doesn't affect the continuity too much, and and that's probably wishful thinking. It probably will. That's probably gonna gonna hang over the entire season, because if this offense can get in a groove, if they can be on the field together for for multiple games in a row, their ceiling is incredibly high, incredibly. I, it's they're young in spots. So there, it, they, it might take a while for them to, to, to work out the kinks, but oh man, How, like especially when they got guys like Trajan Bridges coming back eventually, and then Ramondre Stevenson coming back eventually, that th- this offense could be could be the best that Lincoln Riley has ever had, and I don't think that's hyperbole. So those guys are at the H position on the depth chart, and all three of them are ORs, so uh, they're all going to get playing time. Uh, there's no clear-cut starter there. I mean, it says Sogner's name first, but it's probably because it's in alphabetical order. I think those those three guys are going to be on the field a lot this year. We're going to see. I think we're going to see a lot of 21 and 12 personnel with those guys this year. Um, and 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 I think off of that, you're going to see lots. You're going to see Charleston Rambo and Theo Weiss on the outside, and you're going to see a ton of combination of those three guys on the inside. I think this season. And you're going to see tons of bombs to Charleston Rambo off of play action. Uh, I can't wait. Can't wait. Well, let's use that as a transition to go into the other receiver spots. Rambo is listed as the starter at the Z receiver, which is where he was last year. And his backup is true freshman Marvin Mims. And so let's see. Let's, let's get to Rambo. Okay. We know he's fast. But he needs to be better with the ball in his hands. And last month, Charleston Rambo, he said that the main thing in the offseason that he, he wants to be better at, he tried to improve at, or uh, you know that, that he wants to be better at when the games begin because obviously there's not been any real chance for him to get on the field yet except for in scrimmages. But he wants to be better at yards after the catch. He said now he's, he's kind of more aware of what the defenses are trying to do to him. So I, he's exactly right because Rambo was a straight line type guy. I don't remember him doing a whole lot after the catch. I believe maybe the UCLA game, he had that, like one of his touchdowns, he, he ran after the catch for a while, but he was in open space, so it wasn't that easy. Outside of that, I don't recall him running after the catch a whole lot last season. So, 
when he whenever he got opportunities in the open field to run after the catch, it was usually on those crossers. Yes, yes. Um, and so I think I think where a lot of the optimism from Charleston Rambo comes is, of course, he had he had a gangbusters first four or five games of the season where it looked like he was the clear number two, and this was like the heir apparent to C.D. Lamb, and. Uh, but then the offense changed because it became more and more apparent of how limited Jalen Hurts was. And I think a, a, a lot of where the excitement for Charleston Rambo comes from, if you just turn on that tape, Rambo is running wide freaking open pretty much on every single play. And Jalen Hurts just misses him. And so I, and I think the assumption is that Spencer Rattler isn't going to miss this guy. Hmm. And I, I, think, I think Charleston Rambo is, is about to have an, a monster season. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be apparent at the end of the year that Charleston Rambo is the second best receiver in the Big 12 hmm. uh, behind Tylen Wallace, who I think is is really special. Well, you got Rambo. He's seen Marquise Brown. He's seen CeeDee Lamb take gigantic steps in their progression at Oklahoma and then go on to become first-round draft picks. He's been preparing for this moment all offseason. He knows it's his time to be the guy at wide receiver in this Oklahoma offense. I, I'll be honest, I'm not as bullish on him, I'm a little skeptical that he's got the skills to be that that top wide receiver one type guy. I'm kind of expecting someone like like a Theo Weiss with his talents to take that role. Uh, you know, maybe not so much a guy like Theo Howard because you know he's new to the offense. Uh, but you know, that's not to say that I don't like Rambo. Um, I do like him. I, I like him a lot. Um, I, I I like that. I, I don't know, man. That guy. I don't know. I, he was he was he was forced into spot duty in that Orange Bowl when Hollywood was hurt. And he burned a first-round NFL defensive back and another NFL draft pick at safety. That's a good point. As well for a touchdown in that one game, and then he came on last season when they were, when they had the offense opened up right from the beginning, and he was running past everybody. Yeah, you know that's Everyone. a good point. With the offense different and a different quarterback, you know maybe I'm being I'm being blinded or I'm like I I can't see what he could be because I'm just so. I guess transfixed you know, this, by the and, way and the this, last what eight games or so went. This wouldn't be this wouldn't be unprecedented. You know, I mean, D.D. Westbrook showed flashes in 2015 of athleticism and and you know being a pretty decent player. He made some plays. No one saw what hap- what he was going to do in 2016 turn into the best skill position player in the country. No one saw that, but he had flashes in 2015. But just Sterling Shepard kind of took hmm. a lot of his. You know, a, a a lot of his targets. So I mean, and and of course, I mean that's these that's that could be apples and oranges, but it's just the precedent is there. I think we've seen enough from Charleston Rambo. His flashes have been of 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 very clearly an NFL player. So you know, I, I'm I, I'm very bullish on Rambo. I think he's gonna have a great year. A great year. He's gonna be a thousand yard guy in in ten games. What do you make of his backup, Marvin Mims, true freshman? Yeah, I I, I want to get into that because if you've if you've been following anything that's come out of camp at all over the summer, um, and I know Mims was there in the spring as well um, during workouts, and there was a lot of talk coming out of him. Um, it's very clear that Marvin Mims is going to be a very prominent player for this program. Uh, he's he he's also the the punt returner, I believe, and it kind of seems like they they put their stars there. C.D. Lamb was the punt returner his true freshman season as well. Um, but what, I think Marvin Mims is the most decorated receiver in Texas high school football history. That sounds right. I believe, like he's Big he's got every career and season, yeah, si- single season record. I, I think or something like that. You know, there was a guy uh, um, so when yeah, I was I'm, 
sorry to cut you off, but there was a guy when I was working in College Station who played at Navasota, and I feel bad because I can't. I'm blanking on his name. He ended up going to Houston. I believe he might have had that record for career, but it, you know, maybe somebody, maybe Mims took it from him. Uh, you know, it's been a few years, but anyways, that that doesn't really matter at this point. Like, go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, clearly Mims is going to be a stud for this program. Uh, he's he's. He's a guy who is, it sounds like he's already differentiated himself from a lot. And so he's going to be one of the prominent guys that we see run out there at receiver right from the beginning, it sounds like. Him and, I, I if you look at the depth chart and you kind of go by sort of the rumbles that you've heard throughout the summer, the top four receivers are Rambo, Weiss, Mims, and uh, Howard, it sounds like. Theo, Theo Howard. Howard, yeah. Yeah. The transfer, yeah. Uh, yeah. Outside receivers coach, Dennis Simmons. He said that Mims, since spring ball, he's he's noticed that Mims put a lot of muscle on uh, during during the summer, which that's impressive considering that it's such a weird off season. Uh, and he also said that Mims is a is a pretty polished receiver coming out of high school. Already feels like he belongs. So just that dude is mm-hmm. yeah. Have you have you seen any of his tape? Yeah, it's Ryan Broyles. He's Ryan Broyles. So I mean that's wouldn't who I who I still think is the best receiver in school history. Even better than Ceedee Lamb. Yes, hmm. I mean, like in in terms of career, yeah, like I, hmm. Broyles had a more dominant, better. Well, it's career. definitely up, uh, you know, it, between those guys, and you know, I guess you throw Hollywood in there, but he was only for there for two. But uh, that's not. Although if like I, although if Baker or Kyler were the quarterback last year, I think CD might have had like three thousand yards. <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. Yeah. yeah, he was not. Uh, he was not too happy at the end of that season with. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, thoroughly dominating everyone in front of you and running wide open and the quarterback not being able to hit you is probably pretty frustrating <laughs> for a for a first-round NFL draft pick. Yeah. Uh, all right, so the other... Eagles fans are going to be so pissed. They're going to be so pissed when they see that guy play eventually. Oh, Jalen Hurts? Yeah. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were mentioning, like, because they're also going to see CeeDee Lamb on the other side. We'll see how much Dak we'll da- can get him to football. But... Uh, yeah. Anyway, we, we'll, have I told you that I've been? I, have Have I told you I've been totally converted on Dak? I think he's absolutely an elite guy, and the Cowboys should pay him. Oh uh, no, you haven't told me that at all. I uh, I I I've been watching. I must just have. I, like, I've been taking advantage of that uh, of that NFL films like free subscription. I've watched quite a bit of uh, stuff from last year. Dak is really good. They need to pay him. I I think I might just have a blind spot because I just do not see it. He's a guy he feasts on bad teams and then against good teams he's just he's he's uh majorly average at best. That's he's young. That's basically he's young. Prescott. The, like yeah, Baker Mayfield couldn't even feast on the bad teams last year. Imagine if that's a non Imagine if Baker Mayfield had it's an OU it's an OU podcast. Had, well, yeah, I mean imagine if Baker Mayfield had all the different we- like I know he's got a lot of weapons, but imagine if he had like the the structure and uh, the offense just running the ball all the time, which I guess they tried to run it a lot last year too. It was bad. It's it's tough to defend Baker Mayfield last year because he did not play well. As much as I really want to, uh, it's we'll it's, get there. It's hey, hard. I, well, we'll get there. I I, I kind of feel like it might be it might be redemptions. I, I kind of feel like this year is going to be fun one for uh, a fun NFL season for OU fans. I, I, I just so. got I got a, I got a weird feeling. Maybe I don't know. All right, so we've gone over the H receivers and the Z. Let's go to the X, Theo Weiss, or Theo Howard, or Trajan Bridges. And this is CeeDee Lamb's old spot. So 
these are the three players with chances to step in. Uh, we know Trajan Bridges is uh, probably not going to be available for Saturday's game. Uh, who knows when he will be available. But uh, I, I think, like, I'll say this for a lot of OU fans, we're all excited to see what Theo Weiss can do in year two, especially uh, in the absence now of, of Jaden Hazelwood. I mean, Weiss is he's going to have every chance to be the star this year uh, with Hazelwood out. And, and really, that's, that's all I got. I mean, he had that one big game against Baylor, but for whatever reason, he just didn't get many opportunities last season. And I mean, yeah, when you only when you're only running out two receivers yeah, in every formation, like true. they did in the second half of last year, and remember, CD didn't play in that Baylor game. So um, that's true. And yeah, this is I'm not I'm I'm just not worried about Theo Weiss at all. Like I've I, I've I've watched so much OU football over the last decades. I've seen the next guy up in those situations, and they don't ever look like Theo Weiss. They're gonna be fine there. Yeah, and so I, I just. The only reason why Theo Weiss was not, you know, didn't get 60 targets last year on on an OU team as a true freshman was because the best receiver in college football was there. That's the only reason why. And it's, it, the same goes for for those other two freshmen I as think well. Alabama fans those guys would argue just, with you on that, but didn't didn't, what, what, didn't Jerry didn't Judy? Judy win the Blitnikoff? Uh, not last year, I don't think, did he? He won it at some point, I thought. I know uh, Jamar Chase won the Blitnikoff last year. Oh, maybe yeah, Jamar Chase is really maybe good, Judy won it. But two I, years I, ago. I do yeah. think CD is better than Chase. Oh yeah, I, we're, I mean we're obviously biased, but I, I do think CD is the best guy for many a reason. Uh, yeah, what about what about Theo Howard? I, I mean, oh, if, don't know much about him. I had this thought today when I was doing some research. You know, I had to compare and contrast like this season. Think about to the 2017 season. It's like you got, and honestly, I had my notes set up for us to talk about something else before this, so it made a lot more sense. Why did I talk about 2017? Uh, yeah, I can't remember why. Why? Because of Jeff Bidette? Yes. Remember, we were expecting Bidette to be the number one receiver yes. on the team. Yeah. Oh, here's that's why. Because like, without CeeDee Lamb here, uh, and with Charles Rambo back, like, doesn't it kind of feel... Going into this year, kind of like going into 2017 because, you know, D.D. Westbrook had left. You know, Lamb was a true freshman. Marquise Brown had just transferred in. Both players were incredibly unproven. There was, there was guys on the team like Jeff, Jeff Mead. <laughs> Jeff Mead was a veteran receiver. And, yeah, Jordan Smallwood on the roster. I got, you know, Mark Andrews was there. And so, I mean, that was you – know, we had a lot of confidence in him coming in. It's, you know, Nick Bass. Yeah, I mean – You know, but, again, then Jeff Bidette. So that's, that's how we get from – all of that back to Theo Howard. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But man, I look at the and, and obviously like their their wide receiver room right now. You got Bridges who is suspended, and you got Hazelwood who is hurt. Those are the only two guys I think that are missing from their receiver room right now. But I yeah, in terms of like their overall like the guys who are in that room compared to 2017, it's night and day. There's so much more yeah. talent now yeah, on right. the. T- I mean, it is just. It's it's like it's not. There's a majority of those guys in that room are NFL guys. A majority of them, and I you can't say that about. Uh, could you say that about 2017? Actually, that a majority of the guys no. would be NFL guys. No, it was no. Just, just CD in Hollywood. It was just CD and at in the Hollywood. time. Yeah. I mean, we had high expectations for CD Lamb, and I remember thinking whenever they got Marquise Brown, and I watched a little bit of his tape, thinking, "Oh, this guy looks pretty good," but you know, didn't anticipate that. Um. 
See, I mean, back to Theo Howard, though, just real quick in case you're wondering, hey, what's the deal with this guy? UCLA transfer. You know, did he really tear his Achilles in January, February, whenever that was? No way. If he's back, no way. Yeah, that seems kind of weird because uh, if he's back playing, uh, he, you know, he was productive at UCLA. He was injured most of last year. Uh, Charleston Rambo you know, made a comment last month saying that Howard's been a playmaker in practice. I know when they've shown still photos of scrimmages and things like that. I've seen a couple of him going up and making plays on the ball. What does that mean? I don't know. I mean, it's something. And the last thing I have on him, and you'll appreciate this, the last time Theo Howard played a full college football season, do you want to guess who his starting quarterback was? It was, D- it was a, a DTR, wasn't nope. it? It, Josh it might have Rosen? been for a little bit of time in that season, but I was watching a little bit of highlights from earlier uh, from that season. Remember who UCLA had grad transfer in? Oh, the dude from uh, yeah, the dude from Michigan, Wilton Spate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ugh, gosh, he was terrible. Yuck, uh, and he got hurt. So you know, maybe DTR did play a little bit at the end of that year. I can't remember. Dorian Thompson Robinson, uh, Bridges. Well, DTR yeah. started that game in Norman. Oh, yeah, that was 2018. So, wait, was that? Yeah, like Theo Howard had like a 60-yard catch in that game in Norman. So it must have been Wilton Spate uh, later later in uh, the season. I, I watched when they played. It was. You, it yeah. was. Wilton's, Wilton, I, I actually, I don't know why I remember this so well. Wilton Spate started the season opener for UCLA that got, season against San Jose right. State in the Rose Bowl. And then he got kind of yep. banged up. He got like a concussion or he like hurt his finger or yep, something. Yep. And then DTR started the next week in... Uh, and Norman, and he he made like some really nice throws, but other than that, he was largely terrible. Yep, you're exactly right. That's what and happened. I think. Well, I I think Spate started the majority of the rest. Yeah, of Yeah, because the game I was watching was the USC UCLA game, which is always at the very end of the year. So, uh, yeah, good call on that one. Uh, Trajan Bridges, you all might remember last year before the season, I thought he'd be a bigger contributor on offense in 2019. Instead, he did most of his damage on special teams. I do think Bridges is a really good football player, and I I do expect him to be somebody that we do talk about on a somewhat regular basis this fall. He's got too much talent not to, and hopefully he's whatever whatever was going on, like be, being suspended, whether or not it was warranted or not or that big of a deal, that's going to hopefully give a college kid some humility, and I'm not sure that he needed it in the first place. I don't know, but... I, he's a really talented guy, and I know they like him at OU, especially on special teams. So I think he's going to be somebody again that we that we do hear from on a on a somewhat consistent basis. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a guy who I think is he he'd be right there with everyone else, and he is. He's he's suspended. And he's on the depth chart, so he's clearly right there. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I, I think your 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 boss Dean Blevins tweeted out earlier today that. That uh, his sources are telling that OU is expecting to hear uh, from the NCAA about the uh, the transfer players tomorrow, sometime Thursday. So that'd be Thursday, yeah. So maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, maybe there'll be some new news out on that. I don't know. Uh, my hunch on that, and I don't, I don't have any inside sources. I think that it's going to get reduced. I don't know how it can't get reduced. They're playing two fewer games this season. I don't know how you can't at least reduce it by two games. So it would go down from a six-game suspension to a four-game suspension, which would then mean they got to just miss the first three. I think they're back by Texas. That's my hunch. I think I think that's what's going to happen too. That's kind of always been what I figured would happen. I just I know a decent but amount of people. I, I, with the NCAA, 
You never, you never know. know, but at the same time, does the NCAA even matter at this point? What? Who cares? They they have no seriously. They have no authority. I'm, they do though. They do though because the we've talked about this privately because the 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 college presidents that that's that's who gives them authority. They are acting on their authority. Well, it's the NCAA governs governs the body of athletics exactly how the school presidents want them to. Well, whenever the Power Five conference commissioners all come together and strip that power away from the institutions and create their own thing, then the NCAA will be officially worthless like it is right now. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, of, of course. Like, I, 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 I probably defend the NCAA more so than really anybody who gets on the airwaves or anything like that. But no, in, in regards to stuff like this, the, the NCAA is utterly incompetent. I, it is they are it is indefensible. I, I can't defend the indefensible. How how um, can it like, be? Like seriously, especially with like, yeah. especially with stuff like transfer waivers and just general decisions. They're awful. Hire me. I'll get through all of them in a week. There's no and like dead I, I serious. Think the, what you're hinting at and the main problem. There's no consistency anywhere. There's no standards. There's there's seemingly no rule book of. In this situation, here's what we do. It seems like every single... All tra- arbitrary. Yes, exactly. And how is it that we are, as we record this, three days away from Oklahoma's season opener, and according to Lincoln Riley, their appeal still has not been ruled upon? Or what have you been doing for... Clown show. <laughs> Clown show. And again, we're just going based off of what Lincoln Riley told us, but that's he's the head coach of Oklahoma. I, I think I can trust him when he there says is- stuff like this. There is no excuse anyone at the NCAA could ever give that would ever excuse their like the timeline that they uh, that they're on for for decisions and transfer waivers and any appeal. They're awful. They are terrible with that stuff. And so I just before we get on to to anything else too, I, I just I want to bring up just it's it's frustrating that we got news earlier this week that there have been two transfers from the Pac-12. Uh, that have transferred in the wake of the Pac-12 transferring in their season. They transferred to the Big 12. Uh, I think Texas Tech and Baylor, there's been one player each. They both got immediately eligible. OU has a guy from UCLA on their roster who they've had on their roster since January who transferred, and there's been no word on him whatsoever. And the word is that he's an NFL guy who will start and play. And they nothing. So they, there's there's two guys who got an immediate transfer waiver to play right away, and yet... I know OU has submitted a waiver for Chris Murray, and they can't, like, that's not, they haven't heard about that yet? How is that possible? Yeah, I don't know as much about that's that. That's indefensible. As, as, I yeah, I don't know as much, as much about that as you do, so I'll, I'll take your word on that. But it just goes along the lines of the inconsistency and the decision-making at the NCAA, which is the point. And, and like, I, I just, yeah, I, I don't. And you're right. I don't know the inside knowledge about the Chris Murray situation at all, but it's especially in a season when the NCAA has already said that in terms of eligibility, this season does not count. If they still make make people like sit out for transfers, it's they lose all of. I mean, they've already <laughs> lost all their credibility in those regards. Yeah. But it, it makes no logical sense, none whatsoever. All transfers should be able to play this year. Period. And they need to do it right now. Just put a blanket on there. Everyone can play. And just because you've already you've already said it doesn't matter for eligibility. So why does it matter? And just real time again. This is Wednesday night. I'm checking on Twitter. I just saw Jason Kersey from the Athletic tweet out 
in relation to Perkins, Stevenson, and Bridges, the whole appeal, the suspension, Kersey says that the hope is that the suspensions get reduced by one game to account for the shortened season, although that is unlikely. So this is what Kersey just tweeted out on Wednesday night. And my response to that is, is, okay, one, why would the reduction be only one game? They've shortened the season. They're playing two fewer games this year. It's like they've already <laughs> I, I guess maybe I'm being emotional about that. Maybe there's a, a math problem that I'm missing as far as like, oh, even though this, this season's shorter, it still shouldn't matter. I think it should absolutely matter because normally you'd play 12 games. So if you're suspended, whatever, five more games, at least you get to play seven more games this year. If they're suspended still the next five games, that's half the season gone, which normally in a normal year, that wouldn't be half the season gone. So I don't understand why it wouldn't be reduced because the season has been reduced at least or thrown out, which I doubt that's going to be you know a, a possibility considering this is still hanging over their head. So I know that this is uh, just kind of me ranting a bit, but uh, you know, Jason has some good sources. So if, if he's reporting that, it, it's unlikely. It's probably unlikely. Anyways, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I just want to throw that no, in. No, I mean, I just, yeah, I, I, I don't, I mean, in, in that regard, I've, I've made my opinion okay. very clear. The NCAA has zero credibility. I, I'm, you know, yeah, whatever. All right, we have one more receiver position to to go over. I don't know if we want to go over this a while. The Y receiver, which is kind of weird because usually the Y position has been reserved for the tight end spots, but uh, it's it's changed this year. I'm not sure if it matters, makes a difference, but uh, Ob Obialo is listed as a starter, and uh, the backup is Drake Stoops. You might be wondering who is Ob Obialo. Well, yeah, we haven't talked much about yeah, him. He's I, you could call him a journeyman, redshirt senior player. He actually started his career at Oklahoma State. He transferred to Marshall. He played there for three years. He had one pretty good season back in 2018. Had 42 catches, 500 yards, four touchdowns, and then he transfers over to Norman for his final year. Uh, you know, you got you got Drake Stoops there. Uh, you know, I, I'll just put it this way: I'm not really going to buy much into to this position having a lot of production in 2020. Maybe it's just because these names and these guys are very unfamiliar. Uh, but you know, I. You know, Rambo, I will say, Charleston Rambo mentioned that Obi has he's made some plays. He's a playmaker in camp. I mean, he's 6'3", he's 220, big body guy. I don't know. We'll see what he can do. I know he had like a he's he's had he at Marshall he had like a couple of like monster games. Like like two hundred and fifty yard three touchdown games, like something like that. Well he only had one. And then of I them know he was he just only had like four touchdowns. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> Total. Um, and I know he was just like hurt his entire career at Marshall too. So mm. the way that I, I remember when he transferred over, that was in the winter sometime. I remember the sell on him was basically just a high upside physical specimen. You know, maybe, maybe they, maybe they got something there. Um, maybe Dennis Simmons gets his hands on him, yeah. can turn him into kind of a bit of a better player. I think that was always the idea with him. But I mean, yeah, if he, if he can step in and he can be a Lee Morris type, just a big body who is able to go over the middle and, and move the chains, I think that's probably what you're looking for with Obi. Um, but yeah, I think at that, especially at that Y position, um, that's probably going to be a position this year you only see when, when the Sooners really want to spread it out. And so that's why you got Obi there, who is a bigger guy, Drake Stoops, who's a smaller, shiftier guy. That's going to be, that's going to be a position that you're probably trying to, to isolate one-on-one for matchup purposes, I would guess. All right, that's the receiving core. We've gone over the quarterbacks, the receivers. 
uh, we skipped right over the running backs. Uh, you know, we'll get it out of the way. Everyone knows there's. I don't think they're that interesting. Okay. Well, we there's no Kennedy Brooks. We know that. He opted out, and it'd be nice if he was on the roster still. But you know, best of luck to him. Here's here actually. Can, can I just give my my general thoughts about um, the running backs? I'm I'm disappointed that Kennedy Brooks is not playing this year. I, I think he's I think he's legitimately underrated. I think he's a really good player. Um, but having that been said, I don't think they're really going to miss his production or have that much trouble replacing his production. Um, TJ Pleasure is going to be just fine behind this offensive line. And I think whoever is back there is going to be just fine behind this offensive line because I think this offensive line is going to be really freaking good. Okay. So, um, and I think once Ramondre Stevenson comes back, Ramondre Stevenson is clearly the best running back on the roster. He was last year, too. Um, when Ramondre Stevenson comes back, I expect him to get the lion's share of the carries, and I expect him to be a fairly high NFL draft pick. Yeah, it's funny because people that listen to this podcast, they know that I've always been very high on Kennedy Brooks. Going back to when he first played in the spring game, and I think you were kind of iffy on him, and he looked really good. But I will say, with more time to think about it, I, th- I think I may have slightly overrated him a smidge at times last year. And I've come to realize it slowly. I think he's got great vision, but it's just it's that that lack of explosiveness, which it took me a while. I was like blinded by it for because when you get him in open the field, he's fast. He could run by guys, but you know he he just that burst. He doesn't have the burst through the hole. Yeah. He doesn't burst through arm tackles to, yeah. and accelerate. At that first level, he just he kind of lacks that. Uh, but that being said. Really good runner. I wish he was on the roster. Uh, yeah, I mean, Stevenson, really good. Hoping to get him back ASAP. Uh, yeah, TJ Pledger, you know, injuries held him back last year. You know, we just haven't seen a whole lot from him since he's been at Oklahoma. I just I don't have many strong feelings on Pledger, but I think you make a good point, though. Behind this offensive line, he's a veteran player. He's been in this offense. He knows how it works. He, he should be good. Uh, you know, Mar- Marcus Major, throw him in there too. Injuries hurt him last year. I was very much intrigued by where he would fall, what his role would be last year. He's a local guy coming out of Millwood High School in Oklahoma City, a small two-way school. He had that red shirt last year. He has a year on, in the offense under his belt. You know, we'll see. We'll see how much he contributes this year. Uh, but, you know, I think, and maybe you're the same way as me. I don't know. I know you mentioned that you're not – you don't think the running backs are that interesting because the offensive line's so good, but Seth McGowan, I think, is the guy that I'm mostly intrigued by. Four-star player from the Metroplex, played at the highest level of Texas high school football. You know, Riley mentioned he, he was a bright spot in fall camp. I think he's kind of known for having quick feet. I'm not sure how fast he is. I'm assuming he's plenty fast for being a four-star player running back at Oklahoma. So I'm just kind of curious to see how he looks, and I'm sure he'll get some touches on Saturday, and I'm sure all these guys probably will. And we'll kind of get a, a, a oh, little, yeah. little taste of it. Oh, yeah, Missouri State's terrible. It's going to be a bloodbath on Saturday. All right, to so that offensive line then, Grant, which we've it's hinted I mean, at a little this, bit. This is when um, when Bill Biedenboe started talking to the media, that's when my ears started to perk up. And that's when my attitude towards this team started to change a lot. Bill Biedenboe seems to be extremely happy with his offensive line. Um, it takes a lot. Which, to, sorry, I'm stepping on your, he, your point. Go ahead. He, which, 
and we talked about it a lot last year on this podcast, he was not happy with his offensive line last year. You could read between the lines very easily. Um, this year, he's happy. And um, I know a lot of people are, <laughs> when they look at that depth chart, they're going to look at the true freshman Anton Harrison at left tackle right away. And I've already seen kind of some people, like I- I've seen some some Texas fans on Twitter, some Oklahoma State fans on Twitter kind of celebrating a little bit that the suitors are throwing out a freshman left tackle. And I'm sitting here just kind of laughing. If Bill Biedenboe is thrown out a freshman left tackle, this dude's freaking amazing. <laughs> Especially with the <laughs> amount of depth now and talent in that room. It wasn't there last year. It was guys were kind of banged up and young. And now there's some young guys plus experienced guys. And the young guys like Anton Harrison, every time the offensive line has come up in these Zoom meetings for the last few weeks – when they talk about the offensive line, players and Biedenboe, the two two guys, two young guys always come up, Anton Harrison and Andrew Rame. So, yeah, they must be pretty good. <laughs> I just, like, I, I, when I first saw, so about a week ago, there started to be some rumblings behind paywalls that Anton Harrison was was maybe going to be the left tackle and that uh, that he had been just so impressive and he was the reason why they were moving a lot of people around. And um, when I first started hearing that, and then I saw the depth chart today, the first thought in my mind was like, I think the Sooners pretty clearly have a have a future top ten pick at left tackle. Uh, that why, why else would he be right? The I'll play devil's advocate. The only other thing I can think of is a weird off season, a weird training camp. We know that Oklahoma and Biedenboe and Riley have talked about this all the time. It's going back, not just this year, but every year they play these guys at all these different spots. Bill Biedenboe has all of his offensive linemen switch and move. He wants to find that right combination. So perhaps in game one against the Missouri state, he's thinking, you know what? Let's give Harrison a crack here at left tackle. See what we got. And, We'll watch the game tape. Maybe during the game, they'll move guys around. They'll shift. They'll go with different groupings. And it's just a depth chart, but it doesn't mean as much as we think. That's the devil's advocate take on it because they're playing Missouri State. It's been a weird offseason. What if we get you know, the second series? It's a different combination out there of offensive linemen. Or not? maybe not second series, but maybe like – the third series or something. I don't know. And he, he moves Adrian Ely over to left tackle. He's like, let's see what Adrian's got here. So I'm, that's possible. You're right. Okay, you. I, I think you're doing the responsible thing by playing devil's advocate there. I don't know, man. This just kind of feels different. This is a true freshman. This doesn't happen very often. And I know that's a weird season, um, but they didn't – R.J. Proctor was the only guy who graduated from that room. And Anton Harrison is stepping in like – they, Eric Swenson started like nine games at left tackle yep. last season. Yep. Adrian Ely started every game last year. Um, Anton Harrison's got to be special. Yeah, so it's not like I, there's no other way of there's no other way of uh, of explaining. So this. yeah, your point being that it's a deep room, so it's not like they're and, they're uh, desperate. And, exactly, and and yeah, Bill Biedenboe has moved guys, or Eric Swenson is not a left tackle anymore. If you if you trust this depth chart, um. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just looking at that depth chart on the offensive line, and then just out of nowhere, all of a sudden, it looks excellent. Like, I mean, the the, the recruiting has obviously paid off. Oh, yeah. And they this that's uh, th- clearly this is the best program in the country for offensive linemen, and, like, it's probably not even close. Wisconsin, maybe, but, um, whew. Like, I, I just, 
it, it's hard for me to take seriously a lot of stuff in the, in the Big 12, like people talking about how maybe how impressive Oklahoma State's defense is going to be this year or how Iowa State is going to be a force because of their defense. Man, not a single one of these defenses is going to be able to stand up in the box against this Oklahoma offensive line. Not even a freaking prayer. <laughs> it's just, it's I love kind your of, confidence like, level in that. I love it. It's, it's like, I, I guess... People talking about how Oklahoma State's defense is going to be good this year. Fine, great, cool. <laughs> Against Oklahoma, n- no, no. Everyone told me how good their defense was last year, and Oklahoma like beat up in the last game of the season, not even being able to complete forward passes. Went in and just ran them over, and didn't even think about it. I mean, they they can't, come on, guys, come on. Uh, before we go on the offensive line, you just got to give some love to Creed Humphrey. He came back. That's massive. If he was not on this roster, I mean, they'd find somebody. I'm sure to they shift over. They like Ian McIver. They like Ian McIver. McIver was okay yeah, last year when yeah, he played. He was good. Uh, but you, it's great to have Creed back. Uh, probably the best center in the country. He's going to be a first round pick. He he just loves Oklahoma football, man. And he said it in January, whenever it was, when he announced he, he wants to come back. And I know this is it's a cliche at this point when these these really good players come back. He obviously wants to win a national championship. I mean, that's what he wants to do. He says we have more things to accomplish here. And I'm glad that he thinks that way because if I'm in his shoes as well, I want to win a national championship as well. How fun does that sound? And you know that you have pieces, and he probably wants to see what what Spencer Rattler's all about. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a big part of it too. Yeah, I Yeah, I got I got yeah, I'm I'm fired I'm fired up about this offensive line, man. I, I am. Give me Give me Creed Humphrey, Marquise Hayes, and Tyrese Robinson on the interior all day long, and I'll go to battle, baby. Seriously. Those guys are so good in the middle, and I, I just... <laughs> there's no one in the Big 12 that can, that can stand up to those guys in the box. Texas is the only team that has a prayer of doing it. And I just... I, come on. Just think a little bit, guys. Like, this isn't... <laughs> Oklahoma State is not recruiting anywhere on the same level to complete to compete with OU in the box come on all right I believe that completes our offensive discussion I think it's all the uh, the, the offensive uh positions took us about a that, about an hour I'm I'm fired up for Anton Harrison I'm I'm gonna be he's gonna be the guy that I watch the most probably on on Saturday I'm gonna hmm. be paying attention and you know he's gonna look good because Missouri State is terrible but um <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that. It's going to be fun. All right, let's shift over to the old defensive side, and I'll be quite honest with you. I'm not as, uh, I, I want to say prepared, but I don't have as many notes on the defense, so this might be more of a, fr- a free-flowing convo. You want to just start at the top with the defensive line? Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's that's the biggest question mark right now. Jeez. Um, I Ronnie Perkins, I think, might be the best defensive player in the conference. It really sucks that he's suspended. That I mean, yeah. that's pretty much all I got to say about that. Um, I people are going to have to step up very clearly. People are going to have to step up on the defensive line. So um, I, I I was pretty pretty vocal at the end of last season. They they did not get what they needed from Leron Stokes. I thought um, he was fine at times. But I think uh, against against better competition, they needed him to make plays, and he was just incapable of doing so. So, uh, of course, I, I think you're hoping that he takes a step because he's going to need to. He's got to step up. 
um, especially with Jalen Redmond now uh, reportedly opting out. Um, yeah, he's gone. He's geez, off the man, I, there's. Yeah, they're really. This is really, really going to test their recruiting and their depth there. But when I look at the depth chart, you know what? I, I it's. I think it can be okay. I think it. Perry and Winfrey hit his. You know how good he is is going to say a lot. So give me the starters. And so give me the starters across across the board. All right, well, it looks like the starters on. Uh, I think the starters on Saturday are going to be Isaiah Thomas at the end. Uh, Perry and Winfrey is going to be the nose, and I think the three tech D tackle will be Laron Stokes. Um, and Isaiah Thomas does have then, an or with Marcus Stripling, so all these guys are going to get uh, a lot of run. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, Stripling or Thomas is, but I you know I'm. I'm thinking it's going to be Thomas for now. Just and I'm I'm saying that because he was talking to the media this week. Sure was. So he's that's telling me that he may he's he's a starter, is my guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, he definitely is right now. And I mean that. So there's no Ronnie Perkins. Yeah, talking. and that's fine. We he know was, he's not going to play. I yeah. I, Isaiah Thomas was getting was getting big time minutes in the fourth quarter of the Big Twelve Championship last year. It doesn't surprise me that he's going to be one of the first guys up here. You know, having to to fill in. But you know, I when I look at that depth chart, I think at defensive end, you know, with with Stripling and Isaiah Thomas there, once once uh, um, Ronnie Perkins comes back, I think that position is pretty deep. I think it looks pretty good, and honestly, at nose tackle with Winfrey Roberson and Jordan Kelly, I think those are some pretty decent options there. I, I don't think they are totally screwed there. Where I am a little concerned is is that three tech defensive tackle. With Stokes and, and Ellison backing him up, um, I, really they're really counting on Leron Stokes in, in that in you know there. So yeah, I just I don't know, man. I I, I hope Stokes has, t- has taken a step because I just and I know he was the Big Twelve like defensive newcomer of the year, but man, like that guy was just. That guy was Kenneth Mann without like the flash big plays. <laughs> oh man, which means he was kind of useless. Man, you just love to to really <laughs> rip on Kenneth Mann. I was a big Kenneth Mann guy, but I I'm not going to push back too much because sometimes he was kind of just one of those parking cones out there at defensive end. Uh, but that's uh, but yeah. you know, hey, what is it in, in in Alex Grinch's scheme? If if these guys can be disruptive. You know, then okay, cool. And 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 the good part is they are gonna go so they're gonna go up against an FCS team, which uh, I read a Missouri State preview today and and Bobby Petrino said that they had a long way to go on their offensive line. Yeah. So I mean that's they're they're gonna be kind of teeing off a little bit on Saturday probably. And they're going up against a Kansas State team that is replacing every starter on their offensive line in the second game of the year. And then they're going up against an Iowa State team that is replacing four starters on the, on their offensive line and has generally struggled to protect their quarterback, I don't know, in, in perpetuity for the last 20 years. So um, <laughs> that's, you know, that's that's kind of what you're looking for until you play Texas, which, you know, is 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 the biggest game of the year, obviously. So they, they, they have some, they do have some time to, you know, to kind of kind of cut their teeth a little bit before they're going to go up against uh, uh, Texas, but oh geez, I I really wish Ronnie Perkins and Jalen Redmond were there. That sucks. It really sucks. Do you think you think Jalen Redmond would not be uh would not be opting out if he didn't if Lincoln Riley didn't send him home? He didn't get that that D dub. Um, I was giving 
I'm giving Redmond the benefit of the doubt because I'm just assuming, and again, I, I don't know, but the the one thing that people have to worry about if you're a college-age kid for the most part are, are uh, comorbidities, and we know he had the blood clot issue. And as far as we know, that's not a problem anymore, and I don't know how much that really factors in as a comorbidity as far as the, the possibility of that lingering. I'm not obviously not a doctor. So I, I'm kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt because I'm assuming that's part of the reason why he's not playing. And also, yeah, I, I, I kind of assume that's why. I, I Maybe I'm way off. Maybe yeah, it's, it has it's something to do with it's something just, totally different. But, yeah. It's just wild speculation on my part because, frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that it appears – We've we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about Jalen Redmond a lot, even in times when he was, you know, when he was uh, not playing or he was he was sick with the blood clot stuff, and um, it's just it's really disappointing to me that it appears that we're only going to get one season of Jalen Redmond, um, and really only one like half season of him being like a prominent member of the defense. It is that's really disappointing to me because um, I, he was. I think he was primed to be one of the best defensive players in the conference this year, and it just it, it sucks that we're only going to get just that that very limited number of snaps from him in his career. That really sucks. That's one of the really crappy parts about this season, and I don't even like I can't even imagine what like some of what some people in like the Big Ten and the Pack some of the players and some of the fans are thinking. Oh, the Pac twelve nobody cares about football in the Pac twelve, <laughs> but um, I like I've and, and I I don't want to go like on a tangent here, but. Man, like that stuff kind of breaks my heart. I feel terrible for Trey Sermon at Ohio State. I feel, yeah, yeah. I you know I gosh, I that's feel terrible. Like, and I mean, kill me for this. I feel terrible for Ohio State. That's a team that I thought was clearly the best team in the country coming in. Oh yeah, and, and they're going to be awesome. I mean, Justin Fields, he was. And, I mean, he's dying to play. I mean, that entire team. Yeah. And my and like knowing that knowing that you got the best team in the country and you got a really good chance of winning a national title, especially after you had a great season and you you kind of lost in heartbreaking fashion in the playoffs, and then something totally out of your control. Adults make a decision that that, and it's super super up to question whether or not that was a rational good decision, and that opportunity is taken away from you. That's really effed up. But hey, it's but not hey, right. They're, they're going to play in the spring, though, Grant. So it's okay. He's going to get a chance. It's a slap in the face to anyone who pays yeah. attention to this stuff and knows how it works. It's a slap in the face. Yeah, I agree. Justin Fields, I just thought of this, too. I was talking about this the other day. Uh, obviously, he was one of the players that was speaking out about how, yeah, we want to play. Let's, let's do this. Think about this entire offseason. His last pass a season ago was picked off. To end the game he's been thinking about that last pass since he threw it and now he's not going to get a chance most likely to ever play another college down because he's going to the nfl and he's going to be one of the, the top maybe the first quarterback take uh well him and trevor lawrence so yeah i just it, it i don't know man yeah it sucks it really it really just, sucks for justin fields and the rest of the big 10 and the, yeah it just really sucks i i legit like I think one of these days maybe we'll we'll have a podcast where we really get into that subject. Um but yeah, man, I just I know like I don't even play college football. I'm just a fan and it's a big part of my life. And I felt like I was put through the ringer in July and early August with all that crap. I can't even imagine what the players were going through there. 
and and like I and I know a vast majority of them desperately want to play. That's so freaking. Oh, obvious. absolutely. So if I that mean, wasn't the just, case, there would be way more people in the SEC, the Big Twelve, and the ACC opting out and not playing. But the vast majority are. Anyways, yeah. One other note on the defensive line. You mentioned the defensive ends. You're you're kind of excited about that depth there. At the bottom of it is Reggie Grimes. I know he's been talked up a little bit as one of the younger players making a uh, you know taking a step. So I'm interested to see what his his development is from year one to year two. Uh, wait, because oh no, Reggie Grimes is new. Sorry, true. I got him confused with somebody else. He's a true freshman, right? Yeah. So yeah, he's a true freshman. I don't, I don't he's know, the guy I'm I, not who uh, I thinking of when. Anyways, I'll think about Reggie it. Reggie Grimes is the guy who was the uh, he was a he was a previous kind of a pretty high five star guy, and then over the course of like the recruiting cycle, he kept going down and down and down. Okay. Um, he's definitely he's got the body type. Like I, I remember looking at his high school tape, and he just looks like a boy. He looks like a like you know man amongst boys out there, but he just looks like he's not super interested in playing football in his tape. I think so we may I have talked we'll about see. we may have talked about Reggie Grimes. Yeah, we did on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. before we went on hiatus. Yeah. Okay, I remember that now. Yeah, that was one of the few guys. That's probably why I think that in my head he played because I actually watched a bunch of his high school tape, which I don't do a whole lot of with these recruits, but that's how dead the period was. We needed some content for the show. Let's transition to the linebacking core, and I'll, I'll transition this way. Another one of the young players that I've heard mentioned a few times is Brendan Walker, who's a local kid out of Oklahoma City, Bishop McGinnis High School in OKC. Just a three-star guy, but he's listed at... Uh, kind of the bottom part of the rush linebacker spot with Joseph Wete, who I have heard mentioned a, a bit as well. But starters from uh, the linebacking core, not surprisingly, Deshaun White's going to be your starting middle linebacker, your Mike backer. At Will is going to be Brian Asamoa, and your starting rush backer returning is Nick Benito because he played uh, the last part of the year there after John Michael Terry went out in October with an injury, and John Michael Terry is right behind Nick Benito at rush backer. All of a sudden, even with Kenneth Murray out of the picture, Grant, the linebacking core doesn't look all that bad. Brian Asamoah has a little bit to prove. He hasn't played a whole lot, but I have I have optimism when it comes to Brian Asamoah. I feel like the, the times he played last year, he flashed a few times, and we know Deshaun White is a really nice player. I know he's changing positions, but he said a few weeks ago that he's been working at Mike and Will everywhere since he got here, so he knows how to play everything. He, he's a guy that is definitely a leadership type player. He's learned from Kenneth Murray. He he took it upon himself to basically like do everything Kenneth Murray told him to do. And so, yeah, you know, how much does that matter on the field? We'll see. But I have confidence in Deshaun White. Jeez, I hope he's better at identifying uh, identifying uh, gaps and whatnot. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just it's. I know it's a quick digression, but Kenneth Murray, the first first-round defensive player from Oklahoma in 10 years, and he was by far had his best year in 2019, and yet there were still some times where you're scratching your head a little bit, but you kind of think, man, it would have been great to get like 75% of what Kenneth Murray did in 2019 in 2018 and 2017 because he looked, uh, he looked quite lost the first couple of years there. You gotta just get. You just gotta get that guy in space and have him chasing stuff down. And he he's is pretty good at that. Just, he is. He is utterly unbelievable at that. Like turn. That's that's the thing. Like I always thought it was. It was interesting that the Chargers drafted him. Turn him into Sean Merriman, and there you go. That's his career. 
just let the guy chase and he will he will just wreck shop. So um no, I going back to the linebackers, yeah, I, I think I think overall their line the linebacking core is gonna be better this year. And so I'll, I'll start with Asamoah because that's kind of the first guy you talked to or talked about. Asamoah flashed last year. He really did. And I th- I, th- I think the thing that flashed the most the thing that you that you notice the most when you watch him is his twitchiness. I thought he explodes. I thought you were gonna he say explodes his explodes through his tackles. His oh no. <laughs> I, I mean he, he wears it very well. We've talked about his uniform. No, he's twitchy. Yeah. He he's twitchy. He explodes through tackles, explodes through the ball carrier. Um he he closes very quickly. And um you could tell maybe there were times last year where he was just thinking too much. So if you can get him to slow down his mind a little bit and just let him be an athlete, this guy's an elite athlete. This guy is a is an SEC level athlete. He's gonna run around. He's explosive. Uh, I'm excited for Asamoah. I really am. Um, I'm actually um, Deshaun White. You know, I yeah, I, I'm not surprised that he's the starting middle linebacker. But man, this guy like we kind of forget this guy did start like every single game last year, but as soon as Caleb Kelly came back and was able to play, Deshaun White started the games and then Caleb Kelly came in and played the rest of the games, like every single time. So, you know, I he was Deshaun White was fine. Yeah, last yeah. He year. wasn't he just didn't really Yeah. He he just didn't really make any plays. And so the reason I bring this up is I was listening to a podcast earlier this weekly and it's uh it's it's Gabe Icard's uh, Gabe Icard's and uh, and Teddy Lehman's podcast. And the way they were talking, the way Teddy was talking, his sources kind of, or at least the way he made it seem, it made it seem like David Agwebu basically has middle linebacker locked up, is the way that he was explaining it. And by the depth chart, that's clearly not the case. Uh, but the way that they were describing it, the the way they're describing it is that Agwebu is like clearly the most talented out of all of them. And is and is like is locking down the middle. They said Asamoah is is fast and explosive, looking good there. And then they said that it's Nick Benito who has taken the biggest step on the defense and is ready to turn into like a dominant player. Okay. Um. So you know, I that's that's you know, if you go and listen to Gabe and and Teddy's podcast, that's what they were talking about. Because other than that, we we haven't really heard a ton about it. When I do look at the depth chart, I'm kind of disappointed that Robert Barnes isn't further up there. I, I was pretty excited when I heard about that switch, and I saw, you know, when they when they released kind of heights and weights, it looked like he had transformed his body a little bit, but maybe he's not quite ready uh, for that spot yet. Uh, Robert Barnes um, at middle linebacker at, Mac, at Mike Backer. That is... Uh, well, he was always... Even when he was playing, he was always better in the box. Yeah. He was good in the yeah, box. Yeah, I, I know he'd shifted um, to linebacker. I guess I just didn't know which, which backer spot he was at. I just... Mike Backer, I didn't see that coming, but I've been I've whiffed yeah, left I mean, and right both on his the, both his career. Both the inside linebacker, you know, positions though on this defense are I'm not going to say they're interchangeable, but they're both inside backer positions. Like they like Kenneth Murray was still the middle linebacker, and they would yeah, that's like, true. They would shift him over to that bare front on third down all the time. And so I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it's they're going to be interchangeable. Uh, but yeah, I I, I like. The back seven of this defense, or whatever you want to call it, uh, back or the back eight after the, I, I kind of really like, because there's lots of experience, um, and if you listen to Alex French, this was a guy who you know who was not shy about saying how much work that the defense needed to put in all of last off season, um, and even over the course of last season, even when they were playing well, he he would still bang home that we're, we're still not playing up to our standards. 
his tone has kind of shifted a little bit this offseason. He's been a little he's he's offered a lot more praise of his guys this offseason. Um, and I'm kind of excited for that. And I know we're gonna transition here into the secondary. Um I, I gotta think a large part of why Alex Grinch feels good is because mainly I think the secondary, looking at the death chart, they're in really good shape. I, I think, you know, I think it's crazy how in one year, one recruiting cycle, all of a sudden everything kind of looks a lot better there. Even after you just lost to Parnell Motley, who uh, made an NFL roster, made the Bucks, which is which is <laughs> really cool yeah, here. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, let's make that transition into the secondary. And let's begin at the nickel spot, which has Brendan Radley-Hiles, Buki there, starting with Jeremiah Cradell or Justin Broyles backing him up. And the last we saw, Buki was the LSU game when he made one of the most boneheaded plays I've ever seen on a football field where he needlessly just hit a guy when he should have been running for Joe Burrow and either forcing him to to pass the ball or knock him out of bounds, but he just decided to take somebody out and allowed Burrow to easily scramble for a first down. It was it was dumb. So, to, to be fair, Buki was asked about that, and so I figured – I got to play his his comments on the LSU game and what happened after that because uh, he took a lot of criticism from uh, from that. So let's hear what Buki has to say uh, about that whole ordeal. Uh, I got to take a step back and reflect, you know, on, on a lot of things, you know, just uh, the LSU game, and, you know, just the things how things ended. But I believe that uh, as a man, you know, you have to you have to take your 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 L's and turn them to lessons. And I feel as if I did that, I understand where I was wrong at. And uh, I've grown from it. I've become, a, you know, a, a better player, you know, and, and overall just a better man from that from that experience. So Buki says he took the L. He's grown from it and he's become a better man. OK, you know what? I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It's a new season. We'll see. He's been a player who always says the right things, but then he'll do something like that, which oh, granted, that was that was extreme. I mean, that was the first time he's done something that dumb. But uh, we'll see. We'll see if he bounces back. He, he I feel like that's 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 the first time he's really ever made a boneheaded like I don't know the whole the the whole thing is crazy just because Buki did not live up to his five star expectations in his first season at OU. This is why. Well, I I I, I, I no, get you're it. Right, I get right. it. That's you know I I'm being a little bit unfair. That is the first time he's done something like that and got kicked out of a game. I suppose maybe I'm thinking more of it seemed like he would say all the right things, whether it be last year or the year before, but then still keep making the same mistakes on the field. It's like, oh, I, I figured it out or I, I see it. But last year? No, nah, maybe I'm thinking back to freshman year. But again, we, we can def- disagree I mean, about it. I do you think he played I, I thought he was fine last year. Outside of Parnell Motley, Buki was the best was the best defensive back on the team last season. Go just go watch. No, the games. You, you don't believe that. I do Delary believe and that. Turner yes. yell was fantastic last no, year. No, Buki was Delarian Turniel was fantastic after about the fifth game last season. Buki was Buki was good to very good all season long. Well he clearly Go back done and watch enough. the Iowa State game. Go back and watch the Iowa State game. The guy freaking erased Charlie Kohler the entire game. Yeah, that was a very nice performance by him. And he capped guy, it off the, at the interception. The guy the guy Going into the Texas game last year, Devin Devin Duvernay was arguably the Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year up to that point. Completely neutralized him. Completely. I guess it's just uh, like, I mean the Baylor the mistakes against Baylor. It just I guess the the bad stuff stands out Buki, to me more. Yeah, Buki, 
Buki does not do a great job holding up against the run on the edge, and that is because he is small and he is playing, in terms of body type, out of position. Um, he does get washed out on the edge. He does, but he is a very, very good cover corner from the slot. Yes. And that, I, that's, yes, that's I extremely valuable. I agree with, I agree that's extremely that. valuable. And I, like, I've, And if they can stay healthy on the edge this season... After JMT, uh, John Michael Terry got hurt last year, that's that's when a lot of their issues in the run game on the edge started to pop up. That's when they started to pick on book on Buki. Um I, I just I Buki is never gonna be really great on the edge against the run game unless he starts to get you know skillful at shooting gaps and getting around blockers using his quickness. Uh, but I, I if if I gotta cover a guy in the slot, I want Buki on him. And I, I think he's going to play a lot of snaps this year, and I think he's going to be really valuable. Um, he's he's underrated now. He's clearly underrated now. And I just he's he, he's an asset to this defense. Trey Norwood was never going to take his spot. Buki is a better player, much better. Well, I will say he did say something on Wednesday that uh, if you know me, listen to this podcast that. It really tugged at my heartstrings that I love to hear all the time. He said in the offseason, his main focus, he's worked on that film study. He wants to be more aware of situations. Uh, Also physically, he said that was a big emphasis during quarantine, getting after that. But he came back to saying that mentally, he thinks he's taking a big jump, watching the film, understanding offenses, uh, offenses, getting kind of understanding more what receivers want to do to him and understanding more offensive concepts. And so I'm a big film guy. I love when people talk about watching film. So basically what that means to me is that he's going to be an All-American this year because you watch enough film, you're awesome. It's, well, it's he's, all the I don't answers think he's ever going to be film. an All-American, but no, I, I just, I, I just, yeah, I, I like Buki. I think he's a good player. He's, he's really a assignment sound and he covers really well. Yeah, I, I his, his size is not his fault. It's just too and, bad yeah, the, the, that he has not got an opportunity to, to ever start at corner. The thing that yeah, I don't, I don't the get thing that either. That he I don't was get really that. good at in high school. I, maybe that's a lot of his it. underlying, like un- subconscious words. Like I just want to see this guy be a starting corner because I think he can be a guy who can lock players down like he does in the slot. I yeah, I I, I wish they would just kind of let him just go play corner and just, it cuts the field just cover in half. his guy in he front of him. He doesn't have as much space to cover, and and he's really good at playing man to man defense. But also, Lee, you could I mean you could argue right now. So obviously, we've transitioned into the secondary. So I want to go back to that that Teddy and Gabe podcast I was talking about. Um, another person they mentioned was Trey Brown. Uh, he's maybe taking that next step and looking like an NFL guy, um, and. If you've read, uh, if any of you guys are on any of those pay sites uh, with the paywall overall summer, Jaden Davis has been talked up very, very highly as a guy who has been who has taken a next step. So the idea could be, hey, we already got this. We already got Trey Brown, a three-year starter on this side. We got Jaden Davis on this side, who has been locked down and is playing really well on this side. Let's keep Buki where he is because we know he covers on the inside. Right. And now we got we now we now know. We have three guys who are sticky, who can cover, and you got you got DTY at safety coming downhill. Pat Pat Fields, I'm assuming, you know, he's the starter again there too at safety. He's going to be pushed this year, but he's he's always going to be steady. He's just never going to make the amazing play 
Um, man, if you got three guys that you can really trust in man coverage, and you got DTY coming downhill into the box, that's I mean you can you can have a really good defense just with that in in this era of football. And so I th- I think maybe that's when you have that much experience in the secondary this year, that's going to be a huge asset. And I and I said uh, in one of our last shows before we come on. Uh, Bill Connolly, who's the purveyor of, of SP+, which I really, really like, um, he's, he's said numerous times in a lot of his previews, the, most, uh, the, the, indicator of su- the biggest indicator of success from year to year is how much experience you have returning in your secondary. That is the biggest, that, that, that's the biggest correlation. And the Sooners have a ton of experience in their secondary, a lot of it. A lot of guys who have started multiple games for multiple years. I, I think that really does mean a lot. And it's not just returning experience. It's experience in this new defensive scheme with Alex Grinch coaching the safeties, with Roy Manning coaching the cornerbacks, not with the previous regime's uh, concepts and tutelage inside their heads. Another year with different coaches coaching them up with technique, making them better, which gives me, and I'm sure you're the same way and everyone listening, more confidence that the experience will matter more based on the tutelage that they have gotten over the last year and going back to last year. Speaking of Trey Brown, you mentioned him briefly. Uh, He's the veteran, the old guy in the secondary starting cornerback. We got to hear from Alex Grinch, right? Everyone loves hearing from Alex Grinch. He talked about Trey Brown. I think this was the best the best soundbite from Alex Grinch, who had a very abbreviated media availability Wednesday. Unfortunately, he had to go to a meeting, and we only got about eight minutes with him, so didn't get many questions in, but he had enough time to get this in on Trey Brown and his development from when Alex Grinch got on campus to right now. And what I saw in Trey Brown probably 20 months ago was inconsistency. Um, and, and I would tell Trey Brown that if he was sitting here today and, and, and I, he, he could try to mount an argument. I win it. Um, if, if we had that conversation, you know, you saw ability, you saw speed, you saw too much of a reliance on that speed, uh, as opposed to techniques and fundamentals and coach Manning's done a tremendous job with, with our corner room. And so credit goes to him, but also credit goes to Trey Brown for, for buying in and working, you know, when, 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 you know, I say he's made, you know, just a, 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 a real jump this fall camp. You know, I, I say that not not in a critique of him a year ago. I just see more consistent play, and I see it more a guy that uh, uh, is trying to make an impact on a, a, a down in and down uh, out basis, and, and a guy that's not uh, you know just just a speed guy anymore. A guy guy that's uh, just trying to mix it up and use techniques and fundamentals. I, I think that'll uh, you know it, it it will serve him this year uh, if he commits to it on game day, which we expect him to. That's just, I mean, he is a, a joy to listen to. And uh, the best part, obviously, was he said that Brown would try to argue it. And he'd lose that argument, basically. <laughs> uh, but a better Trey Brown, obviously, is going to be a good thing for everybody that wears crimson and cream. And listening to Trey Brown talk today, again, this is Wednesday, he mentioned something that I found pretty interesting. He said that in fall camp this year, Trey Brown, he said he's forced two times as many takeaways this year as he had last year in fall camp. So does that mean he's had the same amount of opportunities? He's just a better playmaker, or does he have more chances, or does he have fewer opportunities because he's gotten better and he's making the most of having very little chances of taking the ball away? Who knows? Love hearing that, and 
Speaking of takeaways, that was the main theme of the defense leading up to the 2019 season when Alex Grinch was here because he had made it a big deal when he first came on the scene and whenever it was January or February of 2019. It's kind of refreshing that we're not constantly just talking about turnovers going into this year. It was a problem last year, even with Grinch wanting a bunch of turnovers. Oklahoma still couldn't get the ball away. But, you know, the the glass half full outlook is that one more year, you know, one year under their belts, these guys are more comfortable with the system. Hopefully now the turnovers will come. I, I know that you made a couple points at times last year that statistically they should have been getting more turnovers with, like, fumble luck maybe or uh, am I – wasn't there some stats that – you could yeah, there's stats that there's stats that in terms like expected turnover That's margin. It, yeah. Um like in terms of uh you know, uh, generally speaking, there's one turnover for like every four uh like passes defended typically. That's right. And OU's like and OU's numbers last year were like absurdly negative to that. So And now I'm remembering um, though at the end of the season we started complaining because Oklahoma was getting chances to get turnovers. They were just dropping interceptions, or they were. Yeah, so I mean, there's we, we we couldn't defend them anymore. So yeah, I mean, there's there's been times there's been times the last couple seasons where it does just kind of seem like the turnover gods just haven't been blessing OU at all. Uh, but then yeah, in the second half of last season, when it seemed like all Jalen Hurts wanted to do was throw the ball to the other team. When the other team did it to OU, they just dropped everything. Yeah. It was extremely frustrating. Granted, they did get it's crazy. some big turnovers in that yeah, Baylor I'm, game, though. That first Baylor game, obviously. It's Yeah, that's true. It, it's cra- I mean, a, a team, OU, for the most part, um, and it's, it's, it's funny to say this for a team that went to the college football playoff and had to come, you know, had to come back from like 28 to 3 down to Baylor in a game. But there was like a lot of stuff went like wrong for them last year and they still somehow won a lot of those games uh a lot went wrong last year and so i you know maybe that means something this year i don't know maybe you know maybe that'll help with adversity because this is going to be such an odd season i don't know we we we, in a season like this we might we may have to grasp for straws we have no idea what it's going to look like anything else on the secondary that we haven't touched on just excited for him I'm excited. I I think this is going to be a good group. Experience does that. Experience really does do that. And these I we saw flashes from all of these guys. Um, even you know going back two years, uh, Trey Norwood. Uh, you know remember that Big Twelve Championship game where he was just great, uh, taking out Lil Jordan Humphrey. So um, also changing positions I, I, for that game, if I remember correctly. Yep, absolutely. And so I'm and I'm sure we're going to see a lot of those guys move around a lot this year. So. I just I think on defense, one of the things that I that I really want to look for um, over the course of the year, because you, you saw a lot of the veterans still kind of re- retain their starting spots. Really going to look for somebody to push Pat Fields at that safety spot, uh, whether or not it's Woody Washington or Bryson Washington. Um, I you know Pat Fields is would be just a really nice depth piece on a very good college football team. That's what Pat Fields would be. And and I, I'm not trying to denigrate the guy at all, but if Pat Fields is your backup safety, you're looking pretty good, I think. And, and I, I, I hope someone steps up there. And and another thing, going back down another level of the defense, a thing I'm going to watch, Lee, is uh, I, I'm going to buy in to what you know, Teddy and Gabe were saying. I, I'm looking for, for David Aguebu to, 
to probably you know unseat Deshaun White at some point in time. Um, I, I just I, I said Deshaun White even when he was recruited here. I, I just I didn't I didn't necessarily get it. And I you know unless he's taken a huge step, to me he's just a guy. Asamoa in spurts has looked more impressive than Deshaun White has. And um, I don't know. I, I I think right now that that could almost be. Uh, that could almost be looked at as just kind of like a seniority thing right now. Um, give me, give me the more talented guy every day of the week, even if he's got to make mistakes to get to that high level. Give me the more talented guy. Uh, I, yeah, and you've always been that way. You've that's just me speaking, maybe. That. Um. All right. So that's what I mean. That's what Barry Switzer always said too. Hmm. And pink. I don't. What? What's your? I've, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. What's your opinion on Barry Switzer? As someone who's not like you know who wasn't really alive during you know that era, didn't uh... I mean, in what sense? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I know he won a lot of games at OU. Um, I I'm pretty sure he inherited a really good Cowboys team. Is that? Or, so I don't I don't know if. No, I'm just curious because because you sometimes have weird like just kind of interesting takes on stuff like this because you're not. I, I think more than anyone I know you are resistant to like cults of personality. You just have no interest in them like whatsoever. And uh, I I feel like there, there definitely is a cult of personality around Bernie or Bernie, (laughs) Barry, (laughs) Barry Switzer and the, uh, the, the OU fan base. And I totally buy into, I love Barry Switzer. So that's like why I, well, yeah, I mean, I I I don't dislike Barry Switzer. I, I mean, I, you know, I work at news nine with Dean and, I mean, Dean played for Barry Switzer, and they're still buddies. I mean, they're they're still in contact. So, I have nothing nothing negative to say about Barry Switzer. I I can't say that I'm like a I love you know like oh my like he's a you know, put him on a pedestal or anything like that. I don't do that to anybody except for maybe Baker Mayfield, which we've gone over that many times. He's like the one guy where I've gotten weirdly super into, and I've. And I've totally flipped on that. I'm like, I, my my man crush is now completely on Kyler Murray <laughs> and not on Baker. Anymore. Yeah, I love Kyler too. Kyler Murray is Kyler's literally the coolest person on the planet. <laughs> I just love the he's way so Baker, cool. I just love the way Baker plays the game whenever he's on. It's just so fun to watch. Uh, I mean, you could say the same thing about Kyler too. The way their styles are obviously different, but that's a whole other conversation. Just, he's, yeah. He's just yeah, like and, and I know I I talked about it during the 2018 season, but yeah, Kyler's just he's just more my type of quarterback. The quiet confidence, like yeah, I'm freaking good, yeah. and you're screwed. I like I love that so much more than like the chip on your shoulder, uh, you know, wear your heart on your sleeve type. I I, I like the I love quiet assassins. That's my thing. Yeah, but to answer your original question, I guess I don't really have any strong takes one way or the other on Barry uh, Barry Switzer. I don't. He's I kinda, a legendary yeah, I just, Oklahoma I don't know. coach, and I, you know, I wasn't there. I wasn't alive to see him play. But I sort of expected yeah. you to be like, uh, "Yeah, I get it," but I don't like his antics. I kind of no, expected no, I mean, you to say something like along that. Yeah. He uh, he was real nice a couple of years ago and spoke with us with uh, Brett at News Nine, the sports producer. At the time, we were at the OU game, and I I can't remember. We were there shooting a story on. A former player, and I can't remember the name of the guy now, and I feel bad about that. But Barry Switzer was there, and I remember he gave he gave us a great soundbite about something, and and Brett put it on Twitter. So it's was it Ricky Dixon? No, it wasn't Ricky Dixon. Uh, may he rest in peace. But uh, yeah, um, 
And also John Blake, if we're going to go in that route. That's, I mean, some some oh, really bad yeah. some really bad news in the OU front, obviously, the last few months. But anyways, I realize that story I just told about Switzer does not really play well at all for this podcast because there's not enough details. So I'm sorry for the last uh, 30 <laughs> seconds of everyone's lives. I thought that'd be better before I started saying it. So, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of good thing, like good stories or takes on that, unfortunately. Sorry to let you down. Uh, it's, well, yeah. oh, well. All right, so last thing expectations for the year i mean we're done with the the the, uh the depth chart and i just i grabbed this soundbite from lincoln riley to set us up for the final portion of this podcast i don't know where this is going to go because we're not going to talk about the upcoming game because uh, OU's going to win the game we're we're probably have more to talk about after the game but let's just listen to lincoln riley here and we'll react to what lincoln says no it's it's definitely not softened i mean that's those are those are our expectations. We, you know, we understand that this season is going to provide some different challenges, um, some t- some challenges that none of us have ever faced before, and in a lot of ways, it already has uh, before it's even began. Uh, but the uh, standard here remains the same. I mean, that's we we expect to, you know, be the best football team we can be. We expect to win and compete for championships, and that's that's uh, that's just who we are. So we um, we know it's going to. It's going to require some uh, some different guys stepping up this year. It's going to require a team that's ready to face some different adversities. But you know that's why the that's why championships are so fun in the end, and why everybody wants to be there and you know be the guy holding up that trophy, be the be the team putting on that championship ring because it is hard to do. It's hard each year, and this year is going to maybe you know maybe be harder than most. So there's Lincoln Riley after about 17 cups of coffee. Uh, the exact opposite, actually. Uh, he was noticeably – he's always pretty calm and cool, but he just seemed kind of – I don't know if down is the right word, but kind of morose the other day talking. You look at his look at his face in that. He's exhausted. And, uh, yeah, obviously, we don't have video of this, but yeah, if you have a chance to listen to that, I mean, he – and in case you didn't quite get that, I mean, he was asked about, hey, this is a tough year for everybody because everything is so weird and different. Do, do the standards at Oklahoma, obviously you always want to win, but is it, you know, does it change at all knowing that all this stuff's going on? And, and that was his answer. If, you know, of course it doesn't change. Our standards still very high. We want to win championships. So I guess that brings us to the last part of the show is obviously we always want Oklahoma to win a national championship. But this year... To me, I'm famously kind of based a lot of a lot of my college football consumption and following Oklahoma. I always won a national title. Big 12 titles, I realize that's the first step to it, but they don't do really anything for me. Oklahoma's expected to win the Big 12, and they have now, what, was it five in a row or six in a row? I, I can't even remember. It's five. Because it just they're expected to. And... I realize that Oklahoma fans are spoiled in that sense, and and OU fans are, but that's the reality. When things happen all the time, it's hard to get excited for them over and over and over again. If Oklahoma State won a Big 12 championship, or TCU won a Big 12 championship, or Texas won a Big 12 championship, those fan bases should rightfully be incredibly excited, ecstatic, because it hasn't happened very much, if at all, depending on the school. But this year, I... I'm not basing everything off of I want OU to win a national title. For me, it's just I think 
the season's going to be fine as far as games. I don't anticipate any games being canceled. I think they're going to get through them all. I think everyone is bought in around the country who is playing. Sure, could some conferences, some games be postponed? Obviously, Oklahoma State, Tulsa's already been moved one week back. Some games have been postponed. I know TCU was affected. That's going to happen. But I do think the season's going to go through. I have a feeling Oklahoma's going to play all of its games. And you know what? This sounds super lame. But I'm, at this point, I'll be okay with that. I'll be okay with just watching college football because if you believe a lot of the reports about a month or so ago, it seemed like college football was hanging by a thread and it wasn't going to happen, which I think it's ridiculous that it even got to that point reportedly. You know, who knows? Maybe it really wasn't even that close and, and all these other conferences were always going to go for it. I, I tend to think that no matter what the SEC was going to play, even if nobody else did, Maybe I'm crazy, but I tend to think that they were going to do it. Same with the ACC. I think the ACC were going to, was going to play no matter what. I know that there was reports that the Big 12 saying they were going to play was the was the reason why everybody else did. That could be true. I Okay. So if you're to believe that it was so close to being gone, I think for me just having college football is going to be fine. Obviously, I want Oklahoma to play well. But you listen to Lincoln Riley. He has been, he sounds like he's been so beaten down. And it's probably not just Lincoln Riley. It's probably a lot of coaches in the country dealing with COVID-19, dealing with all of the, the social justice. Uh, I, I don't know the best way to, to put that, what's going on in our country and how they've had to, to, to address that and deal with that. Not to mention preparing for a college football season that may or may not have, you know, may or may not be there. It's already hard enough just to prepare for college football. It's not easy. A lot of this stuff weighs down on the head coaches, probably weighs down on the players too. So I'm just concerned about the preparation and whether or not everybody's going to be all there for the games. And maybe everybody's going to be in that same spot, so it'll be an even playing field in a way. But since we're so close to the Oklahoma program, it I am concerned about that. I don't know if if this, this team is going to be, I don't know if ready's the right word, because I'm glad they're playing Missouri State Saturday to get that game out of the way. So we'll see. You know, again, maybe everybody else is dealing with it too, so the, the, the playing field's even, and every single program is kind of dealing with the same stuff, which they are. Who handles it the best? I don't know. And if it's not going to be OU, I'm going to try not to be that broken up, broken up about it, because... Again, I think we're going to have college football and in a totally kind of unrelated note, I think the NFL is going to go fine too. So, uh, I yeah. So you think, I don't know, you're I part of me uh if I'm reading between the lines here, you you're feeling kind of skeptical this year. I am. About them. I am. Yeah. Um I think okay. the offense you is and going to be are, fun to watch. I don't know if the defense is going to be any good. You and I are pretty simpatico. Uh in I am my kind of like my feelings, my heart is telling me to be skeptical. My head is telling me that OU is really far ahead of everyone else in the conference. And see, and that's um, the thing. Just it's when like, you look at when you look at personnel, right, well, talent just went like, out like it has year after year after the, year. Like I can't even. I, it's it's hard for me to underscore enough how I think the like I think the skill position core of of uh, of Charleston Rambo, Theo East, Theo East, Austin Stogner, 
Braden Willis and then add Ramondre Stevenson in there is so far and away the best collection of skill talent in the conference. It's not even freaking close. And when you add in uh, when you add in Oklahoma's offensive line, the NFL guys they have there, I, I just really, really, the rest of the conference is not particularly close to OU in terms of the the talent that they put on the field. And people can talk about Texas and their recruiting rankings all that they want. Man, they're going to have to freaking prove it. They haven't been able to do that. They haven't been able to win, you know, they've been able to win more than nine games in a season once in the last 11 years. <laughs> So, you know, I, my, I, yeah, my, my heart and my feelings tell me that this might be a season that OU slips up a few times. Um, but like I said, my head tells me that they got way more talent than pretty much anyone else in the conference. And Texas is really the only team that can play with them. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a fair assessment. But, but also, yeah. But also at the same time, I'm 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 concerned about that week two matchup against what might be the best coach team in the Big Twelve. K State, Kansas State. I you know I don't you maybe it's because we're, I'm just not as close to those other programs. But like I don't know I don't have those same feelings of uneasiness around Kansas State's program about how they're dealing with COVID and all that. I just I don't. So, um, but and maybe and maybe maybe that is just because I'm not close to that program and I don't know the inside. I get what you mean. I um, get what you mean based on that, and and I struggle with that too. You know, how close are we to this program? Very, which means we're not going to obviously watch the ins and outs of every other program in the Big Twelve or across the country. I, I get what you mean by that. It does seem though that maybe other programs are more uniquely ready to just kind of move on and not get bogged down. By, by COVID yeah, stuff, just like and and yeah, I'll just I'll come out and say it. Texas looks like looks like one of those teams right now. Yeah, they just and maybe that has to do with maybe like them having a having a veteran quarterback. Uh, maybe they're just super excited because they had to fire both of their coordinators and they got two good ones now. <laughs> um, but yeah, and but like but also my head keeps telling me that's absolutely ridiculous. Texas was like, I mean, no. <laughs> They're gonna have to prove. Like, don't don't put anything on Texas until they legitimately prove that they can handle mm-hmm. that. And you know, I yeah. So I think the, the best know, way man. to sum it up for me is that I'm very positive. I'm incredibly positive about the season as far as college football. I think college football season is going to make it through, and I do think Oklahoma is going to play all of its games. Where I'm skeptical and not as high and not as positive is in how Oklahoma will fare this year. I don't know. The last couple of seasons we've gone on here, and I think both of us have predicted Big 12 titles. I'm not I'm not going to hammer that home this time. And granted, this is a different kind of podcast. Usually we have it, uh, we have it set up to where we give our predictions and it's really formatted well. And we're at the end of the show here, we're kind of just going off the cuff. But I don't have a high comfort level in just saying, yep, Oklahoma wins it. But at the same time, though, I don't feel like I'm super confident in anybody else in the Big 12 to take it from them. I mean, Oklahoma State or Texas some, would be yeah. the, the logical other candidates. Maybe Iowa State, but Iowa State, I'm not going to be fooled by them. They keep going like 8-5, and five, even though they have really good quarterback play. Anyways, so yeah, what were you going to say? Um, Yeah, I actually, I feel like I have a pretty good read, honestly, on a lot of other Big 12 teams. But also, I, I just, and, and we're going to continuously come across this problem as a season, I just I, I don't know how to square 
predictions or analysis with COVID and and all of that could go wrong there because we just we have no idea who is going to be in or out and it's and it seems like if you read between the lines or you read a lot of stuff a lot of the guys who are out don't even have COVID a lot of them it's it's because of contact tracing and so do, like I don't even know if are the contact tracing rules are those are those uniform across the board in every conference or is that is that specific to every team um like that's that's the type of stuff that I don't know how like what happens if what happens if Texas is 7 and 0 and is the number 1 team in the country going into November and then all of a sudden they got like 20 starters out for a game mm-hmm. like I, yeah. that's stuff like that could happen like I don't what that could happen to Alabama and I, it's so hard to to make predictions like I have no idea what this season's going to look like um so I think I think what we should do until we get a good you know a good look at what this covid season looks like I think we just kind of have to analyze it just on paper how we would every other season <laughs> at, at this point in time. Yeah. And, and I, because, and, and so saying that, I, I think my brain tells me that the smart pick to win this conference is Oklahoma because I think they have, they have by far the most offensive talent in the league, which history suggests is the most important part of winning this league. Um, and other things that I'm pretty sure of, I'm pretty sure that Oklahoma State is overrated. Um, I, they're, I, I think, I think Texas and Iowa state are both better. Um, I also think, um, teams like TCU and Texas tech are probably going to be really bad this year. Um, I think, I think the bottom three in the conference in in this order, uh, is, is going to be Kansas, Texas tech and TCU. Um, I think West Virginia is probably going to be the team that surprises the most people and gets up into the top half of the conference. Uh, they have they have the most maybe defensive line talent currently, um, in terms of their starters, but you know I, it's it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be super interesting. Uh, the, but like I said, the only thing I, I'm sure of is that TCU, Texas Tech, and Kansas are going to be bad, <laughs> and um, and and I think Oklahoma State is overrated. Those are the things that I'm sure of. Yeah, I I think it's a fair take about Oklahoma State. As much as I want to buy in. I am a bit skeptical on them as well. They're not going to be able to block anybody. That offensive line, it's really solid on the left side, and at center, it's it's decent. On the right side, it's real young. It's real young on the right side. Did you know? You probably do because you know everything about this stuff. Oklahoma State got a really good transfer at, at left guard now, Josh Sills. West Virginia guy. Oh yeah, from from West Virginia. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I did. I remember know us that, talking yeah. about him a couple of years ago, or maybe even last year before the season, and then he got hurt and he was out for most of the year, and he's able to play right away for Oklahoma State. So he's a really good. I mean, he was a good player at West Virginia. I think he was like All Conference a couple times or something like that. I mean, at least they got the left side's good, and then uh, Tevin Jenkins is their left tackle. He was their starter last year. So this this yeah, the offensive line might not be as bad as. We think it is, but that's certainly uh, the the easy weakness on Oklahoma State's depth chart right now between offense and defense. Yeah, I just think you know, I I, I think they're they're a little overhyped is all. Um, sure. But you know, hey, I I will like Tylen Wallace is freaking awesome, and we'll like we'll see how good he is coming back from the ACL. Um, I I feel like I've made my 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 opinions on Chuba Hubbard pretty clear on this show. Um. He's the best running back in the conference. 
arguably he he was not the best running back in college football last year. Uh, probably is not this year either. I, I just I mean he's he's not a first round guy in the NFL. He's a straight he's a straight line straight ahead runner. Joe Mixon is a much better college player than Chuba Hubbard. Yeah, I've kind of like my Kennedy Brooks evolution. I've kind of ev- evolved a bit on Chuba as well. Last season, I said at times he was the best back in the nation. I will amend that now. I think he was the second best back in the nation. I think uh, ETN at Clemson is the best back, and it it was shocking that he, ETN that he didn't is, come out. Yeah. And I still think it's the same. I, thought, yeah, I think it's the same this year. I think it's ETN one. I think it's Chuba two. And yeah, I do agree that Mixon is probably a better pro prospect. But I do think Chuba is going to be yeah. just fine out of the backfield catching the catching balls and Chuba's good. Like, like I, Chuba, that's such I an, like I would that's I would take difficult. him on OU. That's not what like, I'm really saying. Talented like, athletic I just, players I, can figure out how to catch passes, and he will. He'll be fine. Yeah. Basically, yeah, my, my too long didn't read about Oklahoma State's offense is that I find Tylen Wallace by an order of magnitude much more scary than Chuba Hubbard. By like much, hmm. much more scary. Like I, I it's not even free. Yeah, I remember though, Oklahoma didn't see Spencer Sanders last year either, and he's gonna be well, he should be better this year, but the weird off season He should be. I, I like him. He's I think he's good. He's got a lot of talent. He's okay. He's fine. He's fine. It's kind of tough, though, like, he's going I, you know, through a different he's... offensive coordinator again. Granted, Casey Dunn was there last year as the receivers coach, so at least he's familiar with the guy, but I don't know how, how much that's going to Oklahoma change. State is going to have times this season where they look like world beaters, and when they play against guys who can punch them in the mouth, they're going to lose. All right. I, I, that's what's going to happen. All right, let's wrap this bad boy up. I got nothing left to say. We went strong. I might break this up into two podcasts. I don't know. We'll see. Do you think our listeners? Nah, do you think our listeners want to do a two-hour pod, two-hour, ten-minute pod? They can do a two-hour pod. They do a two-hour pod. It's, the game is in like two days. All right, it'll be a lot easier for me to just do a full two hours. So just do the full one. Do the full one. Right. I think on the next episode we can talk about uh, talk about what we think for the nation. I, I don't know. It's it's gonna. This is gonna be a weird year. I, yeah. I don't know who's good. Who's not like. I'm sh- like. I'm certain that, that Alabama and Clemson are awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm that's pretty, pretty much all I know too. at this point. Yeah. Um, and I, I think other than that, like I, I, I may have said this five months ago, my, my sleeper team in the SEC is Florida. I think they're going to be the team that challenges Alabama for kind of the, the SEC crown this year. Well, yeah, uh, just they finally because got rid they of have, Franks. Holding the, holding the back. They have Kyle Trask. <laughs> well, yeah, they have Kyle Trask and like Latin, you know, last season, uh, once Kyle Trask started to take over in the second half of the year, Dan Mullen turned that into an air raid, throw it all over the place offense. And Kyle Trask is good. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, Dan Mullen is a really good coach. I, I just, I kind of, I, I'm starting to believe in him as, um, you know, I just, I, 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 I just kind of like that progression there. And there just kind of seems to be some weird mojo going on at Georgia. I, I just, I don't know. I, I think, I think Kirby Smart's done a great job of acquiring talent there, but there's 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 something weird going on there that there's just not there's just not great continuity and yeah. What's the uh, I can't I don't know I can't even think of the the quarterback who who opted out. I can't he, the Wake Forest transfer. That's Jamie Newman. Newman. Yeah, he just opted out, but but now they got the J T Daniels yeah. from USC, who I thought was who was who's probably better than Jamie Newman. I say Jamie so, I mean, Newman that's, did that's not good impress me at all at Wake Forest. He. Grant, maybe I watched some of the games. I just caught the games where he was really bad last year, but ooh, there were some really bad moments for him. Why doesn't Justin Fields just transfer to Georgia for this year? 
<laughs> I mean, who, I mean the NCAA can't say no. What are they going to say? I think Justin Fields is still trying desperately to get fall football played now, like still okay. at Ohio State. All right, well. And Clock's ticking. That'd be pretty cool. That's Yeah, I mean. Clock is ticking. Geez. What a what a freaking disaster that all is! But <laughs> yeah, you know I I um I'm, I'm it's 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 going to be good. I'm I'm glad I'm glad for a weekend full of football. And I know I'm I'm going back to something you said like ten minutes ago when you said that you're you're sure that the NFL is going to pull this off. I am. My confidence level in the NFL pulling it off is well over a hundred percent. They have clearly, if you just watch Hard Knocks, they have clearly put in. Uh, the effort and the investment to make this thing work. Yeah. Like, I mean, it is, they're taking it really seriously. And I, I, I appreciate the hell out of that. Like, a lot. So, um, what really drove it home for me, if any of you out there listen to Outkick the Coverage, uh, now, Clay Travis is a polarizing figure, but he he's interesting and he has interesting people on, and I like whenever he has Dr. David Chow on the show, who used to be a... I think the team doctor for the Chargers for years, and he came on and said that the NFL PA, the Players Association, I guess in the last month or whatever before training camps began, agreed to uh, a part of the uh, agreed to where if a team can prove that a player got COVID nineteen because they didn't follow the rules, they went and did something and, and it wasn't team-related, that they can take money away from players. And the Players Association agreed to that. And so the fact that that was a, a part of the deal shows me that, to, to piggyback onto your point, the NFL is taking it very seriously. Because these guys know that eh, if I go do something and, and get it whenever I'm not supposed to, I can get my paycheck taken away or whatever. I mean, these guys have a very small window, a lot of these guys, to make money. So... Yeah, I think that's a big reason why I think the NFL is going to be fine. Yeah, and I think it's 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 just great because you know at, uh, when I was prepping for the podcast today, I realized you know today is Wednesday, and we got an entire. I mean, we got a full NFL Sunday, uh, you know, coming up in just a few days, and like I kind of just it's hard to remember that just with all the crap going on, and so that's that's exciting to me, and just and knowing that the people listening to this, the first NFL game of the season, it's tonight. And I think that's awesome. Like you know, I'm, I'm excited to watch. Just like, I, I kind of feel like the NFL is going to do the best job of any of the other sports leagues so far. And so, um, I'm hoping that it kind of feels normal. And curious to see what it's like. I, I'm excited for the NFL season. Like I've, that that's one thing that I've, um, that that I've been able to kind of to, to to feel excited for because there's been stability there. Because it's they they've been very clear from the very start that yes we are playing mm-hmm. there there hasn't been any uncertainty there whatsoever, and so I don't know I I really appreciate that and in, in extremely uncertain times any bit of certainty is great and I I think you know the NFL is a great institution it needs it's really important for the country and I'm glad they're they're going through with it I agree uh, let's get out of here enjoy the game on Saturday football is back Grant and I will be back next week at at some point to talk about it, and probably some other stuff. It is good to be back doing West of Everest. Hopefully you all enjoyed this mega return podcast. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.